This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Good Friday to you. Actually, not the good Friday, but happy Friday to you. This is it. You made it through another week, for heaven's sakes. A day we should all be celebrating. Tomorrow is Saturday, the big uh, game, the, the, the highly touted ball game of Jeffrey Liam Simpson. I think Terry's watching these scores on his Instagram account, too. I don't think Terry, when I said that about the big game, Terry looked at me like, what big game? I was like, what did I miss? You missed the greatest game between Spencer and, um, and Jeff's team and Jerem Jordan's team tomorrow. It's happening. You already missed it tomorrow. It's happening tomorrow, and you missed it. Oh, man. Oh, well. I hate it when I miss stuff that hasn't happened yet. By the way, uh, it's, uh, it's Friday, which also means three hours of the, of the Matt Townsend Show, but one of the three hours will be Jeffrey will be driving the boat. The ship, as we call it. And uh, Jeffrey will be... Um, Talking and, and, and enlightening us about how to keep our screens clean in his show, Screen Cleaning, Cleaning Screens. <sighs> We've been over this. It's going to be a great show. We're going to be speaking with a, a marriage prep instructor Ooh. who conducted a certain experiment that may or may not have led to real marriages. Okay. And then we will be talking about... Fake relationships in movies. Oh, well. That sounds great. Aren't they all fake? They're pretty... I mean, anything are, from the 80s or 90s is all about a fake relationship where so-and-so paid somebody to go out with them oh, or pretended... I just was looking at the bigger picture, like, literally everything oh, is fake in a movie because it's not real. The standpoint. Yeah. Okay, what, do you, what do you mean by that? Well, people in movies generally are not, like... They're not in an actual relationship. They're acting a part. What? Yeah, I know. It's crazy. Not all movies. Yeah. But he's talking about like within the script, yeah. it's a fake relationship. So that's uh, – that'll be hour number three. Um, you won't want to miss that. It's going to be a weird hybrid show because we'll also – so very light fare, but then we'll also be discussing Stephen King. Which is very dark. So Who, we'll start with the salad and then get to the steak. Then to my to knowledge, really meaty steak. He's never made a uh, romantic comedy. Well, yeah, no. Well, Carrie. Well, there was it. Carrie, yeah. I'm sorry. <laughs> Carrie was. I mean, there was. A there was moment, a prom scene. There was a prom scene, and mm-hmm. who hasn't found romance at the prom before? Did well, he, pretty much everybody in that movie did not find romance at that prom. Did he write the one about the? Was it like a 57 Chevrolet that was killing people? Yes, Christine. Yeah. So, yeah, it was a love affair there. We won't really be recommending any of his movies. Oh, okay. <laughs> okay. But, uh, but or any, books. But you're going to be bringing them up. Um, so That's because The Dark Tower comes out today. I love A Dark Tower. And it's not being reviewed well, and people are blaming Rotten Tomatoes before they, anyone sees the movie that it's not going to do well, which sounds like to me they're just trying to make up a story that explains why it doesn't do well. Yeah, they're trying to tick him off. Don't tick, don't tick him off. He'll write a book about it. I heard someone explain that it's kind of like taking the Lord of the Rings and jamming it into one movie. Wow. Yeah. Because they could have – there's a lot of material apparently in the Dark Tower series. 
and they're just trying to make one movie out of it. Well, I don't know if there's going to be a sequel. Speaking of The Dark Tower, we will also today be talking about China Mm. and um, how you probably – you might not want to trash talk China. For some reason, our president uh, really is frustrated with China because of trade disputes and a lot of our jobs going over there, except – you know, a lot of Americans, pretty much every American has been benefiting from China and all all of the goings on in China. No, even if you lost your job, if you love a really inexpensive flat screen television, right? then you are benefiting from China. If you like the fact that our cost of goods are like 37% lower than they were 20 years ago. You are you owe a debt of gratitude to China, right? So today we're going to get into that. Like, how much love should we give China? And maybe, maybe the president ought to back off a little bit. You know, he could still defend right if there's trade policy. There's trade issues, then you go negotiate those things. But, but we're, I mean, a lot of people are enjoying a lot of benefits. If you work at the mall and you sell clothes and shoes. You are probably benefiting from China. Wrong. If you happen to have just won a hydration challenge at BYU Broadcasting and you have a brand new bottle that's a magic bottle that keeps your water cold for years. Right. Then or you, hot, depending or on. Or hot, depending yeah. on which. Maybe you want soup. Where your thermos goes. Um, <laughs> then you may be benefiting from China as well. Wrong. By the way, it said proudly. Produced in China or proudly made in China. Yeah. Wow. I mean, proudly hmm. versus like begrudgingly brought to you by China. Good point. So we didn't bring this up yesterday. I think there was some jealousy. But Jeff, our BYU Broadcasting has been having this tournament to stay hydrated. Hmm. A hydration. A hydration tournament. challenge. 64 ounces of fluid a day you're supposed to be consuming. And... Um, a lot of people did that, and then if you did that, you're supposed to put your name in, and then you there was a drawing, and Jeff didn't do it, but he put his name in, and he he won the drawing. So he didn't participate. I don't think he's. He says he did. He said he right. hydrated that much, but I never saw him drink anything. Right. I M- did see him go to the bathroom about twelve times an hour. It must have been. Maybe off that the was clock. an indicator. Oh wow. Yeah, I thought it was because you had like bad kidneys or something. Yeah, some sort of. Issues. But congratulations on winning. Yeah, good job. Did you want to give a hydration speech? Um, there are so many people I want to thank. Okay, thank you. So that was great. Very touching. <laughs> you forgot to thank your kids, though. I'd like to thank the little people that made my hydration possible. Anyway, that's pretty cool. We were proud of you, Jeff. He, he's kind of a lucky guy. I mean, minus mm. the gangrene in his leg, yeah. he's had a real streak of luck lately. You can just scoop that out. Anywho, um, we'll be getting to that. <laughs> you can. <laughs> How is your leg, by the way? How's the meta, honey? Uh, I It's wrapped in plastic today because I've been tired of the flies peeling off the dressing. Uh, yeah. You're not putting salad dressing on that, are yeah, you? Like, no, are you? no, no, no. Oh, okay. The little, you know, yeah, the yeah. Uh, the pad. Yeah. The um, the pad. So I don't want to peel off more skin, but as it's the meta honey's working, right? 
I don't know because I have to keep peeling layers off. It looks like maybe it's working. It's totally working. I can already smell. But now the ankle, now the ankle is back to being swollen again. <laughs> Matt laughed himself into a coughing attack. There, your ankle swollen again. Yep, brother. Hmm. I think I was stung by a bee, or there was a stinger in no, the meta honey. No, it's just the, it's the cankles. Hmm. It happens. It happens. I mean, it's just age. I mean, gravity is pulling you down constantly, so everything's yeah. going to settle. It's, it's just good. where it settles is in your ankles. I think there was a stinger in the meta, meta honey. Hmm. Maybe. Hey, by the way, have you tried any of that meta honey on your toast yet? That's some good toast. It's medilicious. Meta good for you. Uh, we will get to all of that fun. But first to Terry South with the headlines. Terry, what's going on around the rest of the country? A couple of headlines to start with. Sean Spicer reportedly turns down Dancing with the Stars so that we don't have that in our future. No! That's according to uh, TMZ. I don't want you to think I have any inside sources there. But uh, there's some uh, former previous GOP contenders like Energy Secretary Rick Perry. No. Disgraced former House leader Tom DeLay. No. But he thinks he'll have an overwhelming number of commitments in the fall. That's what Sean Spicer is Don't let anyone else do it. He's not going to follow the footsteps of those gentlemen. Also, Scaramucci was supposed to have his uh, his online streaming program or some kind. That's been canceled. Ah. He said, uh, no longer host the online event, according to a tweet. Uh, no press event tomorrow, focusing on family, my work, and the private sector. Hashtag moving forward. Stay tuned. That's the president saying, don't you dare. <laughs> Knock it off. Go Do away. Do not make me take you on. Now, okay. on, to, on to some on other me. stuff. China's, China's defense ministry says a Chinese warship is assisting the U.S. Navy in its search for a sailor who is missing and may have gone overboard during operations in the South China Sea. Hmm. The U.S. Navy's Pacific Fleet said the destroyer USS Stethem reported a man overboard 9 a.m. Tuesday. Multiple searches of the destroyer were conducted, but the sailor has not been found. The People's Liberation Army Navy-guided missile frigate was coordinating with the U.S. in the search for the sailor in the spirit of humanitarianism. Oh, good. See? That's good. We can all get along. It's great. Uh, Zion National Park in Utah, one of the premier outdoor attractions in yeah. the American West, considering a first-ever admissions cap in a move supported by conservative advocates and veteran park employees. Oh, is this a new university? To stem overcrowding at a time of record visitation. Yeah. So they're overcrowded. It gets to the point where you can't really we gotta, do anything. We got to close the park. We're gonna just we're gonna have an, an admissions to, cap to go hike a canyon. You wait in line. Hmm. It's not what they want, so they're going to pack it off. Too many people in there may mess things up. Don't you find up. it weird that Disneyland can make it work on a millionth of the real estate? Well, they're not dealing with you know outdoors and well, delicate we... environment. They're right. just walking down Main Street, USA. Right, and they can still push 10 million people through a tiny little acre. Well, that's their business plan. That's not necessarily the business plan of the national parks. Maybe Disney could come in and consult and show you how to form a line. So Zions has seen a visitation during a four past to five years, a 60% increase in emissions over the past decade. So they're concerned about that. And not only them, but many other national parks are also having the same concern. They're like, what is the deal with all of these? See, we've built these parks and now they're popular and now we're going to not let anyone go to them. No, they're going to just have carrying capacity. Caps. Yeah, it'll be fine. In the middle of summer, when every kid is going to the parks, now we're going to cap them. You'll just have to make a reservation. Yeah. 
A sewage leak at a Nashville International Air a Nashville International Airport may have contaminated about 200 Southwest Airlines passengers' bags. Ooh. The airline said. Uh, ABC News says uh, the problem was a single toilet in the woman's restroom, kind of oh, above the baggage handling boy. area. It overflowed, and yeah. They tell you not to flush certain things. Don't flush razor blades down. Yeah. Guns. You're not supposed to flush your guns. Grenades. Grenades, bombs, ammo. We- weaponized fidget spinners. Mm-hmm. Those have been caught by the TSA. Watch their Instagram feed. It's fascinating. What weaponized to get fidget spinners. The bags are currently being sanitized. Replacement bags are being offered on a case-by-case basis. Holy cow, that's a mess. That's gross. And finally, a tiny building supported, sporting a paint of a blonde, blue-tailed mermaid apparently drifted 200 miles from Florida to southern Louisiana, the AP reports. Hmm. The Coast Guard released a photo of the floating dock found 180 miles south of Grand Isle, Louisiana. Petty Officer Travis McGee says several people have reported seeing it on Key West, Florida. A Coast Guard news release says it was reported to have broken free from its mooring without anyone aboard. The building is green with lavender trim. The side that uh, would have faced land features a painting of the mermaid, a sea turtle, and an octopus. Above the blue door on one end, a sign appears to include the word Shed. Okay. Was it Aquaman? Was no. that Aquaman's shed? It's a. His, sh- it's just a shed, and it's so, out floating in the ocean. So they have like a lair for a for a thief or whatever. But this is Aquaman's shed, right? Because there's pictures of mermaids and octopi and, and yeah. a turtle. And you know, and you know, Aquaman loves a good it, mermaid. And then to clarify. Hmm? It said shed, just so no one was confused shed, as to because, what the purpose of that right, building was. Right. It's not. It's not like a. It didn't say like townhome, right? It didn't say condo. It said it didn't say condo. Shit. With a picture of Jason Momoa, mm. who will be portraying Aquaman. You know, Jason Momoa, the actor with Ooh, the, yeah. the line shaved out of his Hold eyebrow. On. That's what Aquaman's going to look like. I thought Aquaman was like this really pasty white blonde. Yeah, he was, and he wore like an orange top and hold on, that's green. But they changed it. He's now like a Polynesian guy. But that makes sense too because that guy's ripped. Right. What's his name? Jason, Jason. Momoa. Yeah, Momoa. Momoa. He's good. Ooh, isn't that a Girl Scout cookie? Those Momoas? Ooh, those are good. I love Momoas. It's different. Coconut, chocolate drizzle, mm-hmm. nougat. Yeah. Can't get enough nougats. I got a lot of nougats, though, as a kid. My brothers were, yeah. they tormented me. But, you know, my mom said if you just put that salve on it, the, 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 they go away. That nougat salve takes care of everything. Yeah. Okay, that's good. That's good news. Good news. What would you put over your house? What? What would I mean? Would you call it shed? Would you call it? I mean, you gonna name your house? Maybe the club or Ooh, the club clubhouse. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I I don't. I think I would just cave. Ooh, yeah. the Jeff Cave. I would probably just put dwelling. Mm. I think that sounds kind of exotic. Residence? Yeah. The dwelling. How about house? Yeah. Great show, by the way. We're going to take a break. And up next, we're going to be talking about uh, maybe we ought to be careful trash-talking China. You may not fully understand how much you benefit from uh, what's going on in China. And uh, interesting insights and a wonderful guest up next. This is the Matt Townsend Show, helping you be the good in the world.
Welcome back, friends. You know, whether or not it's for the best, America uh, spends a lot of money every year on goods per- produced uh, in China. Last year alone, the U.S. spent $47 billion on Chinese durable goods, yet China hasn't had the greatest reputation among Americans in recent months. Here to talk with us about the claims that China is stealing uh, American productivity and factory jobs is Mark J. Perry. Mark is uh, concurrently um, a scholar at American Enterprise Institute and a professor of economics and finance at the University of Michigan's Flint campus. He is best known as the creator and editor of the popular economics blog Carpe Diem. Uh, Mark, thank you so much for being with us today. Yeah, hi, Matt. Yeah, glad to be on your show. This is a, it's a, I think it's a fascinating topic because most of us just aren't informed enough. We know that uh, we've heard President Trump talk a lot about how China has an unfair trade war with us. They mess with the dollar. They, and, and are getting a lot of negative press in um, the United States. And yet, meanwhile, we're we're benefiting greatly over the last 20, 25 years um, because of a lot of the things China's doing. Help straighten it out for us. Uh, are, are, are we going overboard with the criticism of China? Yeah, I think we are, because, you know, you were talking about how Trump t- uh, talks about how they're stealing our jobs and manufacturing output and stealing our wealth. But the other way to look at it from the consumer standpoint is that we're, you know, using Trump's language, we're stealing all of their cheap goods and products that help us um, get to a higher standard of living. So I think what people should understand is that, you know, trade involves buyers and sellers. And so international trade, you know, we sell to the rest of the world, we buy from the rest of the world. When you hear Trump and politicians and Wilbur Ross, the Commerce Secretary in the Wall Street Journal the other day, When they talk about trade, they only talk, it's very one-sided. They only talk about it from the viewpoint of the American producer and the American worker. They never once, hardly ever mention that very important word, which is the U.S. consumer. So when we think about trade and think about China and Mexico, we always hear it from the politicians through the viewpoint of the U.S. producer. They never once, hardly ever, will talk about the great benefits to the American Hmm. consumer not just families and households and individuals, but it's American businesses who are buying a lot of their cheap inputs from overseas that allow them to be more productive here in the United States and produce more and be more competitive. So we have to think about both sides of the equation, U.S. producers, U.S. consumers. All we ever hear about is the viewpoint of the producer. Oh, that's it's interesting. Yeah. And I guess the producer would be the companies. Right. And the, the companies that employ people. But we I mean, when you go out and buy a brand new television set or a brand new, um, I guess, computer screen or a brand new camera that those those are called durable goods. So I'll have you educate us in this. Those are durable goods and durable goods over the last 20, 25 years. They have been dropping in price by like 35 percent. Right. That's right. And um, part of that is because of the contribution that China makes to lowering the cost of durable manufactured goods. And so our purchasing power over the last 20 or 25 years has gone up by about a factor of three times. Hmm. And so people also have to understand that when you buy clothing or footwear or TV um, that was produced in China or Mexico and the price is lower, then you save money on those purchases and then you've got extra spending power to allow you to go out maybe and eat more often out at restaurants or go to movies locally. So the cost savings you get from those lower imported goods, manufactured goods, gives you extra purchasing power. 
and that frees up some of your spending. And then that, that, so that, that additional spending that you're not spending now on clothing or furniture now is spent elsewhere in the economy and helps support U.S. jobs and help, help support the U.S. economy that way. Yeah, because so many of us are still in debt. So the reality, so that money, that 35% gain is going somewhere. We're not just putting it all in the bank. Yeah, that's right. And so I think people, when we think about, you know, China's kind of the, the bad guy now, but I mean, I think from the consumer standpoint, I mean, consumers, of course, love low prices and they love competition. We love quality. We like great selection. And we get that through international trade. And so the only alternative would be to cut off imports or impose uh, restrictive tariffs or protectionism uh, um, on foreign producers. And that would make the U.S. consumer worse off. And so we have to remember that it's always the U.S. producers who are competing against foreign rivals who are sometimes more efficient. They're the ones calling for protectionism and tariffs because they don't like to have to compete against more efficient foreign rivals. Consumers, when we're thinking as a consumer, we love that competition. We love low prices and selection and quality. Is it is this somewhere where eventually the foot's the other foot's going to drop, and all of a sudden China is going to stop? You know, you know, um, supporting or uh, helping sustain the lower costs of durable goods. Are they eventually going to just start driving the costs up? Well, you know, that's what's kind of interesting. And what's happening is because China now is, um, you know, very dynamic, competitive economy, that they're now, they're, their manufacturing wages have actually started to increase quite a bit because of the competition over there for workers. And so that's kind of the, national, the, the natural progression is that for a while they have the lowest cost labor. Now over time um, their manufacturing uh, wages get bid up. And so now, actually, there's some production that's shifting over to other Asian economies, like, let's say, Thailand and Vietnam, because they have lower cost wages. So remember that China is not just competing with the U.S. They're competing with manufacturers all over the world. And so we are seeing some increased cost of manufacturing in China. And so that could eventually kind of give the U.S. more of a cost advantage because we have very low energy costs here. So we have a lot of advantages just that our labor costs are so high in manufacturing that we're not as competitive as other countries like in Asia. Hmm. I mean, it really is. It's a, I mean, this is global markets, right? And global economics. When, when you, when you look at it, I mean, not everything is, is going down. Um, Like cost of services is going up in the United States as well, I guess. Non-durable goods, those are going up as well. But overall with durable goods dropping, um, are we just not noticing the other costs going up? Well, you know, I think what happens is all of these changes take place so gradually over time that we kind of don't even really notice it. So, like, let's say the cost of clothing, people probably don't even realize because the cost of clothing has been falling for the last 25 or 30 years, largely because of globalization and a lot of our clothing is produced overseas. So some of that is just almost invisible. But then the other things, you know, there are – um, you know, consumer services that do go up in price, you know, so for example, medical care costs, of course, have been going up. College tuition has been going up. Uh, child care costs. So, hmm. you know, there are some, you know, parts of the economy where service sector, um, you know, consumer services are going up in those areas. Um, but then it's offset by falling prices for things like cars and appliances and household goods and durable goods and and clothing and so on. So there's a lot of money, um, and yet 
when, when I look at it too, through the through the campaign, those people that are deriving all this benefit um, by lower costs in the durable goods are simultaneously completely angry at China because they're taking the jobs. Um, and, and I guess we don't we don't notice that the two might go hand in hand. Well, yeah. And I mean, and again, like I mentioned, you know, we're not very competitive in terms of labor costs. And so like the kind of low end, um, you know, low value, low skilled manufacturing, like, you know, putting clothing together. A lot of that has gone overseas. The U.S. has specialized more in kind of advanced manufacturing. And so we do have some kind of uh, advantage there. So but it is a dynamic global economy, and U.S. Um, producers are competing with manufacturers and producers around the world. And so, again, from the cons- and you know, producers never like to have; they would like to restrict or reduce or eliminate competition if they could. So we always have to be a little skeptical of what they're saying. And so, again, from the consumer standpoint, we love to be able to shop in a global economy. We love to be able to take vacations globally. We like to be able to get goods and products from uh, overseas, uh, foods and vegetables and coffee and bananas that we don't get from our own economy. And so from the consumers love all that choice and selection and low prices. And so, again, we have to always think of how does this affect the U.S. consumer? And so that's this economist, Bastier, who I quote a lot, said that we should look at all economic issues through the viewpoint of the consumer because the viewpoint of the consumer is the viewpoint of mankind. Hmm. Okay, so if we think of everything as how does this benefit or affect or harm or benefit the consumer, that's how we should look at things like trade and not look at it through the viewpoint of the U.S. manufacturer or U.S. producer, because then we always will get kind of undesirable outcomes that way. That's interesting. and But it almost seems like that's kind of a dangerous approach as well, because um, you could, I guess, export all of your manufacturing. Well, I guess if it lowers your costs and your goods over time – um, I guess that's still healthy for the consumer. So in the oh, end, yeah. I mean, in the end, I guess um, it, it depends who you're who you're looking at and who you're wanting to support. Yeah, that's right. I mean, and, and basically, again, from the consumer standpoint, uh, global competition is a great thing. It's increased our standard of living. We get goods and products and services, you know, at the most competitive, low cost price. And that has a huge benefit for our average standard of living, and especially for low-income people and poor people, benefit by being able to go to stores like Walmart and Target and get very, very cheaply produced over, you know, goods from overseas. Can you see a day where um, the, the markets will change in such a way that the United States having lower uh, you know, fuel costs, energy costs, that – that there could be a shift back to the United States in manufacturing that, and we might be able to have an advantage again. Yeah, in fact, um, the Boston Consulting Group has written a number of papers on this, and what they've predicted is within a few years, maybe, if it hasn't already happened, that it might be the case for certain manufacturing industries that the U.S. would either have a competitive advantage or would not be at any kind of competitive disadvantage once you take into account all of the costs, including our you know, energy costs, which are much lower here than any place else in the world, our labor costs, which are higher but are offset by other costs. Uh, the cost of land here is very cheap compared to, like, Europe and Japan. So it might be – and actually our manufacturing output is um, at an all-time high or close to an all-time high looking at output. And so we are seeing a little bit of a revival in U.S. manufacturing, and I think that will continue um, you know, as we move forward. 
you know, the offsetting factor, though, is productivity is because we've become so much more productive in the manufacturing sector, we can produce more and more output with, with fewer workers. So I think our manufacturing output will continue to expand. We'll have some increase in the number of jobs, but then there's also going to be the offsetting effect of increased productivity, just like in farming, that will allow us to produce more with fewer workers over time. Wow. It really is a... Uh... I mean, how powerful could this be knowing that just give stuff time, uh, markets shift, the economy shifts, what we're making will shift, uh, our our ability to hire um, an educated, strong workforce, that's growing and benefited as well. Let's uh, take a break. We're speaking with Mark J. Perry. He's uh, concurrently um, a scholar at uh, American Enterprise Institute and also a professor of economics at um, finance of economics and finance at the University of Michigan. He's walking us through China and helping us understand what's going on there where we may not necessarily want to just throw them all out. Don't trash talk China. Maybe instead uh, let's thank them for lowering our cost of goods uh, and, and letting us benefit that way. We'll be back. This is the Matt Townsend Show, helping you be the good in the world. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. $47 billion a year are spent on Chinese durable goods. Uh, And really, interestingly, 35% decrease of these durable goods, the cost of these goods to the United States and and, and American consumers over the past 20 years or so. So we're benefiting greatly from a lot of what China is doing, and yet we hear so much uh, rhetoric, so many negative comments um, about their practices, and as our guest Mark J. Perry uh, is joining us, Mark's a, a, a scholar at uh, American Enterprise Institute and a professor of economics and finance at the University of Michigan Flint campus. He's best known as the creator and editor of the popular economics blog Carpe Diem. Uh, Mark, thanks again for being with us. Yeah, good. Glad to be here. So, I mean, uh, what's because it is really complicated because when we talk about China's human rights issues, OK, that's one issue. When we talk about uh, their military um, expansion um, in the China Sea, that's another. When we talk about um, them uh, trade uh, um, trade issues with the United States, that's another issue. But when we talk consumer goods, we benefit greatly from the relationship. How do we balance it all? And I guess is that is that why the president's rhetoric is so important is because he's not representing one constituency. He's representing mul- multiple constituencies. Yeah, and you're right to point out that there are some issues with China. And the other one is intellectual property rights. There you go. Right. And don't respect, you know, our intellectual property rights and patents and trademarks and so on. So there are some issues there. So, yeah, I mean, it's, it is a complicated situation, um, but I think that, uh, you know, um, again, that the consumer's um, benefits have to be considered in all of these discussions. And the other thing now, it might be a little bit different with China, but the other thing about imports um, that gets such a bad rap these days, because um, we always think we want to export more and import less, but more than half of the imports that come into the country uh, are not consumer goods that are like finished goods like TVs and 
and clothing and footwear. What come more than half of what comes into the country are unfinished goods that are parts and supplies and raw materials and inventory that U.S. manufacturers are buying. So it's not just American consumers shopping around the globe for the best prices on TVs. It's American corporations and American manufacturers who are shopping around the world. And so the cheaper they can get their inputs, as I mentioned before, you know, the better that they're the better off they're going right. to be, the more competitive they'll be, the more workers they can hire. So a lot of the imports coming in are actually inputs for American companies to allow them to be more productive and more competitive and they can expand their markets and sell more products and expand their output and hire more American workers. So we always think imports are such a drag on the US economy, but a lot of more than half of what comes in are inputs for American companies buying supplies and inventory and raw materials and parts to yeah. allow them to be more competitive. Yeah, and if they and 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 if they can get their technology less expensive too, I'm assuming that benefits the company. So they're I mean they're benefiting raw material is do you see that this is um have have we made an enemy of China and and used it I mean as kind of the boogeyman the the country that's going to bring us down um or is that just is that just rhetoric or should we fear them um as far as our economy goes um because it seems like we're all aren't we all in bed together on this yeah. well yeah i guess you always need a bad guy remember 20 or 25 years ago or longer or even more recently it was always china was the the bad guy for our trade relationship and they were either investing too much in the right. united states buying up property or selling us cheap goods and selling us cars that people wanted to buy, but taking away jobs from Americans. Now it seems like the shift has been towards China and to a lesser degree, Mexico. You know, we never hear as much about, um, you know, Germany or Canada taking away our jobs. So I guess we always need somebody to kind of focus on. And then from a political standpoint, you know, it's popular. I mean, obviously Trump got elected on promoting the idea that trade is not always good for Americans. And so he... You know, politically, you can sell that a lot better than saying, I'm going to do what's good for the consumers. So you get a lot more political traction right. and payoff if you say that you're going to look out for the American manufacturers and American workers. It's so true. Yeah, you're so right. We were terrified of Japan. Do you remember? And those they were working like crazy in Japan. No, Americans would never work that much. And now we're working that much and we have a new enemy. Um, in China. Do you, when you look at it too, I mean, I, I also look at the fact that we really are competing strongly with Europe. And um, in a way, we, most of us don't ever think of them as competitors. Well, yeah, that's why, I mean, underlying some of this could be, you know, a little bit of some, um, you know, very subtle types of either racism or xenophobia, fear of strangers, because it's always, you know, First, it was Japan, then China, Mexico, when we never complain about trade with Canada mm-hmm. so much or trade with Europe. So I think there's some of a little bit of some subtle, um, you know, bias in there and that gets that comes out in our discussions on trade. Um, so I think we have to be very careful about that as well, that, you know, it's a big world and we're all part of the world. It's a global marketplace. And so we get these huge benefits from trade. And so we have to really recognize that and we don't want to restrict trade we want to increase trade so is do we is this something that we actually need to worry about or does the market 
manage this and and change everything anyway? I mean, is, is it something that our our government leaders need to pay that much attention to, trying to create a balanced approach to some of these things, or d- is it really market driven? Yeah, I mean, I think that what the market is really good at doing is responding to changes, whether it's changes in natural resource uh, prices or changes in the labor market. So, I mean, the market can adapt very well to changes. And like, let's say now there's lower energy costs here. So the market adapts to that. Uh, what doesn't adapt very well are, are, you know, strict government policies that don't that get put in place and then don't get updated, like our uh, sugar policy that's been in place that restricts sugar from coming into the country. So I think thinking about a global dynamic economy that's getting more dynamic all the time, you could make the case that the market is going to do a much better job of helping, you know, allocate resources efficiently and coordinate global supply chains much better than trade policy by politicians who have a different motivation often. They're trying to get reelected. And so I think that's, again, where we have to think about not what's best politically, but what's best economically. And so I would always argue in favor of letting the market kind of um, – be the primary force for adopting to all of this dynamic change in the global economy. What do you think um, about the Trump White House repealing so many, you know, um, so many rules, so many of Obama's uh, decisions, maybe a more pro-business um, White House possibly is, I mean, do, do you sense that that's going to change our relationship with China and others? Well, yeah, and I mean, I think we can just look at the stock market reaching all-time highs in recent weeks, and, and that's kind of evidence that the markets have been responding positively and favorably towards the new trend, towards a more pro-business environment in Washington. So, And then again, I think uh, the Trump is, on, in that part of his policy, he's taking the right approach to reduce taxes here, reduce or eliminate regulations. And if we get the U.S. economy to operate more efficiently and more competitively, then that would naturally create jobs and even bring manufacturing back from overseas that might have been outsourced before. So I think that part of his public or his economic plan is, is really good. That would make the economy less regulated, lower taxes. It's more of a pro-business type of economy. And that's going to be what will really drive us forward, I think, more than, you know, tinkering around with NAFTA or, you know, creating new trade agreements and things like that. So that's that's a very important trend. I think yeah. it's really should be considered very important. It seems like when we come when it comes to China, the there's something we can't overlook because where would we be if 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 we didn't have China, we never would have had half as many fidget spinners as we currently have uh, flying through our country. These little spinners, these little toys that the kids can use to fidget. uh, China's made that possible. Well, yeah, and they made a lot of things possible, and they've really increased and improved our standard of living in ways that people probably don't even think about or even realize. But, you know, it's always a challenge to try to use resources efficiently and produce products and goods at the lowest possible cost. And China is really good at doing that for certain manufactured goods. And so it's really helped the U.S. economy and helped U.S. consumers. And so we should really show some thanks and appreciation um, to our major trading partner and, and really kind of recognize some of the benefits that we get from cheap manufactured goods that help us then uh, live at a higher standard of living. That's good stuff. Mark, appreciate it. Uh, Mark J. Sperry is his name. He's current, concurrently a scholar at American Enterprise Institute and a professor of economics at finance at the University of Michigan Flint campus. 
mean, it really makes sense, right? It depends on how you're talking and about China and what exact angle you're looking at. But we probably ought to be looking at, at least for a while, hey, the consumers of America are benefiting greatly by lower costs in a lot of our goods. And so, thanks, China. And we also can worry about our businesses going to be able to survive and, and make it all happen. So it's complicated, but it's also it's life, right? Good stuff. We will uh, continue the journey and continue to uh, give you the information you need. The latest, greatest up next. This is the Matt Townsend Show, helping you be the good in the world. Welcome back, friends. You know, there's a lot of things you can worry about. China, I guess, is one thing. And it really is. We we might make them the, you know, the dark, scary shadow that is going to ruin America. And yet we sure love their fidget spinners and we sure love all of their cute little toys and, right. and goods, including the iPhone. Many parts of the iPhone would be coming from China. And even, and, by the way, coming back. And parts of the United, you know, are made in the United States and sh- shipped out to other places to right. build the iPhone. But uh, absolutely, you've been doing and, and, some research. Well, I read an article. You've been you've been researching in our research laboratory. So uh, the Atlantic magazine this week. It's a physical piece of isn't public, that on the East Coast? Um, yeah, well, you can get it everywhere. But, the Atlantic. Uh, they have a September issue, and they have an article in there about smartphones. It says smartphones have reached critical mass in the teen population leaving social destruction in their wake, according to yeah. this article oh, in The boy. Atlantic. Highlights, uh, these are some highlights from the article, focuses on the generation that followed millennials. <laughs> they're referred to as iGen. I'm not sure if we've settled on that name, but that's the name they're going to go with with this article. Oh, really? iGen. iGen. And the oldest members of this emerging generation are 20 years old right now. Oh, boy. Hmm. Right. So uh, it says teens are... Da- Teens are dating less. Only 56% of high school seniors in 2015 went out on dates. For boomers and Gen Xers, the number was 85. Wait, what percentage again? 56. Wow. Versus 85 for... But is this because of their phone? They're just saying this is the behavior that's happening right now. They just stay home with their phone. They're just a happy couple. (laughs) You're looking at kids that grew up between 2000 and 2015, right? So you're looking at this generation. There's different things happening. And one thing that happened during their generation that is affecting what they're doing is their phones. They're dating through text just at their own homes. Their maturity is stunted across a range of behaviors, dating, spending time unsupervised, those Mm. types of things. 18-year-olds now act more like 15-year-olds used to, and 15-year-olds act like 13-year-olds. Is that what's happening? Because I'm about about a minute away from getting rid of all of my children. Why not just get rid of their cell phones? Then you'll love your children. It says they have more free point. time, but they waste it. Combined with a decline in work for pay, this means iGen teens have more leisure time. They're not working. They're not getting jobs. The part-time job isn't something they're they're chasing. So they have more leisure time than Gen X teens did, not less. They're on their phone in their room, not alone, often distressed. Yes. Right? So you're not doing something fun. You're just, I'm going to go, you know, look at my phone. I'm just going to go watch this stupid youtube video right for five hours yeah because they don't hang out with their friends the number of teens who get together with their friends nearly every day drop by more than 40 percent from 2000 to 2015 <coughs> so even just the go hang out sort of thing is gone because 
you could probably just do it on your phone. Well, and it used to be that you would go hang out earlier. Like my 17-year-old son, when I was a young kid, I knew by 5 o'clock where I was going to be that night because you had to, right? You had to have – everyone was on hard lines. So yeah. you had to get those calls made. But my son at 10 o'clock at night's like, oh, yeah, I think I'm going out in a bit. And you're thinking, <laughs> what? Yeah. You can just do this right, you know, with just one phone call, that's all, and you're out playing. Not good. It says uh, one of the statistics in the article, kind of disturbing, teen murder is down, but suicide is up. Mm. Teens who spend three hours a day or more on electronic devices are 35% more likely to have a risk factor for suicide. Since 2007, the homicide rate among teens has declined, but the suicide rate has increased. Wow. Especially if you're texting somebody to go ahead and go through with it. like That, that girl. In yeah. fact, she was sentenced, right? She to 15 months. Yep. So Telling her boyfriend, alleged boyfriend, that – yeah. I thought it was ex-boy – was it ex-boyfriend? I don't know, but she mm. was like supporting him to go kill himself. Yeah. Mm. And girls are the hardest hit. 48% more girls said they often felt left out in 2015 and then 2010 compared to 27% of boys. Three times as many 12 to 14-year-old girls killed themselves in 2015 as in 2007 compared to twice as many boys. Wow. So they're showing that increase that's happening. iGen, what do we call them? They're called iGen. So they're 20 years old today. So they've grown up in the era of the smartphone, which basically started 10 years ago when the iPhone came out. And then the whole industry of phones shifted to kind of copy that design yeah. and all the phones. It, it really, we don't know what the phone's doing. I have a son that's... Uh, in another state, and he's trying to um, get his car fixed, mm. and it is stressing him out like crazy because he's he's it's because he's using his money. Right. If he was using my money, guys, <laughs> like who cares? Well, whatever. Whatever Dad tells me. Yeah. But spare I, no expense. So, just get it done. So I called, and by just searching, I found three really good places. Right. Made three really easy phone calls. Lined up a bunch of stuff in literally 10 minutes and he's been stressing about it for three days. It's just they don't know what to do anymore. They don't know... That that basic yeah. kind of th- working through that problem. Yeah. Like, how would I do this? How do we... Where do we... How yeah. do we start? And they go, ah, I'll just look at Snapchat. But don't you... My age, I was going to the gas station and putting my own oil in and changing stuff when I was 15. Right. Hmm. The final uh, word here from this Atlantic article... Uh, on uh, smartphones devastating teens is the topic. It says that teens who spend more time on average on screen activities are more likely to be unhappy, and those who spend more time and more time than average on non-screen activities are more likely to be happy. And then it says there's not a single exception. Oh, that's scary. That is scary. So get your kids off their phones for heaven's sakes. That's what it's saying. Ah! Okay, there's a little there's a little piece of advice for you. There there are no exceptions. That's crazy. That's scary data. Uh, we're finally learning uh, the the long term impact of what phones are doing. Ah, we'll continue to give give you solutions throughout the show. This is the Matt Townsend Show right here on Sirius XM 143 BYU Radio. This is 
is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. Happy Friday to you. Yes, my friends, you made it. You made it through another week. Now, if you can just get through this uh, to the today, you, you got a great weekend set up for you. Yeah, if you can get through the rest of this show, yeah. you are set. Because it's quite a task. Well, if you can get through this show and then the next hour of shows, which we'll, will be your show. Will be a breeze. And quite uh, a pleasant breeze. Yeah, a nice uh, breeze, canyon breeze we have here in, in the, at the feet of the Rocky Mountains. Hmm. We're just right there at the at the at the foot. It almost sounded like the opening to a Mormon Tabernacle Choir concert. And so now we leave you within the shadows of the everlasting hills. May peace be with you this day <laughs> and always. We have got a I lot think between the two of us. We've got a pretty good impression there. Yeah, we do. And some of you may wonder, um, hey, is that who do I hear cackling? Or chortling. It's not a witch. Or snorting. It's it's Matt with a chest cold. And if we if we crack too many jokes, then I start laughing. And if I start laughing, then I start hacking. And if I start, <laughs> yeah, if I start hacking, then we're gonna have to clean all the monitors, which isn't pretty. That's so no jokes, gross. no jokes allowed. No jokes allowed. I've, I've asked them to get a sneeze guard in here. Yeah, like a salad bar. Yeah, but they won't do that. So. Hmm. Well, they'll pay for it one way or another. We got a lot to cover today. We're going to be getting into um, the power of understanding your own stress. If you can just dial in, get a little emotional intelligence and understand your stress, you're going to set yourself up for a better life. Because once you understand your stress, you can control it. You can do something about it. You can lower it. So we will be talking um, with Ann Grady about handling your stress Knowing what causes it, uh, we will also be um, giving you some really interesting advice. If you happen to be transporting dough, like it could be pizza dough, it could be any kind of dough. Money? Not that kind of dough. Oh, okay. Any kind of dough with yeast, a yeast dough, you got to be careful transporting a yeasty dough in the middle of all of this heat. Because there was a, a dough truck, a truck full of dough, so and a lot of heat, and it created a pretty big mess. Like the, the female deer no. dough? No, the other dough. Because people hit deer all the time. Yeah, this is, this is different. This is the yeasty dough. And uh, by the way, the yeasty dough is one of the greatest dances of all time. Oh, uh, yeah. Second only to the dosey dough. We do the dough. We do the yeasty dough. Yeah. So the yeasty dough heat and uh, makes, you know, the dough rise and it exploded in a truck and it created a pretty gooey mess on Interstate 5. We'll get to that. Plus, a train barely misses a woman trapped in her car and a man driving a car with an axe in the roof. So, you know. Right. No doors on the car, by the way. There's got to be a story there. Yeah. I'm sure. I'm sure. I almost laughed there. But in the police report, there wasn't much of a story. We'll tell you about it. It's interesting. It's crazy. Yeah. But first, 
Let's get to the headlines with Terry South. Terry, what uh, what news stories should we be paying attention to? The Massachusetts woman uh, convicted in June of involuntary manslaughter for encouraging her boyfriend to kill himself was sentenced to 2.5 years in prison with 15 months of those committed. So she'll spend like 15 months in prison. Uh, prosecutors uh, recommended Michelle Carter, 20, be sentenced to at least seven years in prison, but her sentence ultimately ended up lighter. In a dozen texts, Carter encouraged then-boyfriend Conrad Roy III to follow through on thoughts of killing himself. Mm. The lawyer said at any point she could have said, don't, and she didn't. See, and this goes back to the immaturity, too. So these there's just immaturity. A lot of uh, – they just don't know what to do. They no. don't know what they're doing. She could have done anything to encourage him to not, yeah, and, and she just didn't do didn't. that. So. Very interesting. Uh, FCC proposed today a fine of more than $82 million against North Carolina man and his insurance company that it said made him more than $21 million illegal robocalls nationwide in an effort to sell health insurance. The U.S. Federal Communications Commission is accusing Philip Rosell of Wil- uh, Wilmington, North Carolina, and his best insurance contract for doing business as uh, a different company and uh, displaying inaccurate caller IDs when making robocalls and efforts to sell insurance. So he's, he's one of these annoying people Come that calls on, you and dude. says, hey, are you Come sick? on! Uh, a Boeing 787 Dreamliner drew an outline of itself over the United States using tracking software on Wednesday. The aircraft was on an 18-hour endurance test flight for the company, and instead of flying across the globe, the Boeing test team chose to draw a picture of the aircraft they were flying. Oh, wow. The drawing covers, 20, the drawing covers 22 states, with the wings stretching from Texas to Michigan. The tip of the tail touches Alabama, and the nose is over western Wyoming. The plane points towards Boeing's home region of the Pacific Northwest. Oh, that's a nice tribute by yeah. Boeing. There you go. I mean, all the air traffic controllers must be like, uh, what's going on up Why there? Why are you guys all over the country? You kids, quit drawing on our... <laughs> Never mind. <laughs> a piece of Americana is up for sale in Maine. The farm which E.B. White lived in. When he wrote the book Charlotte's Web, is on the market for $3.7 million. Wow. The one downside is that people visit the farm all the time because that's where the guy wrote the book. Yeah. So if you own it, you're going to have to bring in the – you have to have the visitors. You can't get rid of them. You're going to have to love – Being bothered. Being bothered by people. Or Charlotte. Somebody bring some spray to get rid of all those spiders too. Oh, that's – that is a bad joke. I I think that's how she really died. Probably. Well, and that rat. What was that rat's name? Templeton. Templeton. Played by Paul. Paul Lind, was it? Paul, wasn't he? Wasn't Paul Lind? Yeah, I think it, it was. It sounded like him. It was. I loved Paul Lind. He was, well, I mean, honestly. What, uh, what's the tic-tac-toe show that used to be on? Hollywood, Hollywood Square. Square. Is that what it was? Oh, and he was always the middle square and the crazy funny guy. <laughs> anyway. Finally. Yeah. Krispy Kreme. Yeah. There's a new donut. Really? Tell me more. According to Krispy Kreme, filled with a Reese's peanut butter cream filling, (gasps) dipped in chocolate icing, (sighs) topped with a chocolate and peanut butter drizzle. Yes. And Reese's mini peanut butter chips. Mm. What do you think? Is that too much peanut butter? No, it seems like just the right amount. So it says, the matchmaking of chocolate and peanut butter is a delicious combination that consumers have enjoyed for generations. That's oh. the chief marketing officer for Krispy Kreme. Yeah. Goes on and says, we're satisfying an intense desire that Krispy Kreme and Reese's fans never knew they had. Yeah. I didn't even know I had that desire. And this is what the donut looks like. We'll share that with you, Matt. Oh, wow. It's a bit of 
bit of heaven right there. Let me see. If I can see it, then I don't need to eat it. Oh, wow. Do you want to taste it? Yeah. It's just a piece of paper. <laughs> it would still probably taste very good. If you took a donut and at home just put a little chocolate, put a little peanut butter, yeah. put some Reese's chips or whatever, isn't that the same thing? Could you manufacture these at home? No. No, because we couldn't manufacture something that tasted like cotton candy. Because oh. all of their donuts just dissolve once they hit your tongue. Yeah. It's, it's actually one way to use less material. <laughs> they, they, a lot of them are just filled with air. I think they just, just air. paint cotton candy. Mmm. So there you go. Um, boy. Okay, so here's the deal. Mm. My college son, we've been talking a lot about him today. Right. He, he, he told me um, about one of his favorite meals away at college, and it reminded me of this Krispy Kreme thing. Okay. Uh, I'm like, what is it? He goes, so it's just it's just a snack. Doesn't he go to school here? Yeah. So he's away at college, but like well, you, he, you but, come to work every day where he goes to school. Well, but he's away because he's away. From home. He's away from home. Gotcha. And, and now he's in Colorado doing research for BYU in oh, Colorado. Oh, okay, okay. But he's um, – so he, he gets a loaf of white bread. All right. Like as whitey, white, white, carb white Full, yeah. as you can get. And then he gets the um, hazelnut spread. Okay. What's that called? Nutella. It rhymes with – yeah, it sounds like blue Tella. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And then he just covers uh, the white bread with Nutella. Okay. And that's just a little snack. Lots of protein. It says right on the front of it, they, they brag about the calcium, the, the protein. They leave out the fact that it's high in sugar and fat, but that's fine. Right, right, right. But is that not basically a Krispy Kreme donut? Carb-wise. Sort of. Yeah, sort of. I mean, now if he would just put a little peanut butter on it, right. then he's created pretty much the best sandwich you could possibly have. Mm-hmm. Would you call it a sandwich? If you put another piece of bread or on top. You, do you call it dessert? It seems more like a dessert. What's a peanut butter and jelly sandwich? That's not dessert. It's totally dessert. No, it's, it's, a, it's a protein. It's, it's a peanut protein. It's sugar on top of sugar, which is dessert. Yeah, I think it's – I see it differently. Huh. Anywho. We still need to talk about spray cheese at some point. We'll get to that. We'll get to that. No. What do you mean no? Why, why do you – oh, that's right. Sorry. Jeff had a bad episode with spray cheese up his nose once. I had a good episode with spray cheese last weekend. We'll was, talk about it later. Was it up your nose? No. Jeff's hmm. still pulling cheese out of his nose. Uh, speaking of <coughs> – Hey, that was your own joke. Again. There's no one to blame but you for that. Speaking of um, yeasty dough, (laughs) mile after mile, drivers on the freeway in Tacoma, Washington, noticed the sticky beige substance oozing out of a large truck. There it is. To some, it looked like foam. To others, some type of insulation. The goo was falling out of an open container truck in chunks, leaving a messy trail on Interstate 5 for miles. The glutinous substance was actually bread dough. Rising like dinner rolls in a pan. Wow. That afternoon, the truck driver had picked up a yeasty, the yeasty dough, leftover waste from a bakery, and to take it to a processing plant where, where it would be repurposed as feed for livestock. Oh. Yeah. That's Is that why they're so bloated? Because of the yeast? You know, okay. It just continues to rise once they eat it? Talking about the livestock? Yeah. Oh, okay. Uh, I don't know. 
Mostly it's the meat products within. Okay. Yeah, they're very gassy. Um, Anyway, they take the waste from the bakery, take it to the feed livestock. It's all good. But as the driver had been doing for years, he loaded up the truck with, um, with the plastic bags full of dough, filling the truck bed with the same amount as always. But it was a hot day, and the temperatures were in the mid-80s, and he had a long commute that day. The combination of the heat and the yeast in the non-refrigerated truck must have caused the dough to swell. The plastic bags then burst. Bada-boom, bada-bing. It left basketball-sized dough clumps all over the road. Wow. By the way, can you imagine how good that smelled, though? Nothing smells better than that. Fresh baked bread? Fresh, or the not even baked yet. I guess it was baking. It was trying to bake, yeah. Mm, that I love. And then that, that smell of summer asphalt. <laughs> mm. The driver was on the road for more than an hour when he noticed the dough falling out of the truck. 911 callers then started to, of course, freak out, and uh, the state troopers pulled up and helped him clear the highway of the Probably with snow shovels. Dough balls. How else would you get that off the yeah, road? Yeah, how would you? Yeah. Snow shovels. That's just, I don't know. seems like a lot of bread. You said it, brother. A lot of, a lot of dough. Bread waste, too. Yeah. Well, I mean, it was bread waste to begin with. I'm not sure. I mean, it's probably it's still. It's double waste, then. It's it's really, it's 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 post-waste waste. Right. You know? Hmm. If it was like a meat product, this they'd make sausages out of it. Yeah, this would be the on the, Yeah, this yeah. would be, you'd have to put Why this Why don't in they do that in bread? Why don't they make like bread sausage? Mm-hmm. I think they do. Do they? Pigs in a blanket. Yeah. (laughs) Pigs pigs in a blanket. On Monday morning, um, a a woman in uh, Oklahoma, some first responders in Muldrow, Oklahoma, said that they were called to an accident where a woman driving a red car was trapped inside an upside-down vehicle by her seatbelt. Investigators said the vehicle was less than two feet from a railroad crossing. Can you imagine how terrifying? Stuck upside down. As police and firefighters started to arrive, they said they could hear the train coming. Holy cow. Then the woman uh, that was trapped inside the vehicle, her doors were locked, and the train blew through the crossing, barely missing the woman's vehicle. Crazy. Close one. She's blessed to be alive, a police spokesperson said. After a few minutes, the train went through. She had figured out how to get them unlocked, how to unlock her doors. And uh, the police said the crossing is a dangerous area with a six-foot drop-off. Crews believe the woman drove over the inclined crossing, and her tire got caught on the edge of the drop-off and flipped. Man, she could have died. She needs a heavier car. Yeah. That's that's the solution She wouldn't have tipped. But she didn't know how to unlock her doors? Well, I think she was probably confused, right? Upside down. Haven't you seen the movies? So she's thinking left, but she had to really push but right. She was upside down in her seat. It wasn't like she was right side up and everything was upside down. Well, but all the blood's flowing to her head, and she's thinking, oh, uh, do I? I? I mean, am I? In every movie, something is jammed. You can't get the door open, the yeah. window, the seat belt. It's always that way. So it must reflect reality. But what, what are you doing when a train, you hear a train coming? You'd think that you'd somehow figure this thing out, like, oh, right. this isn't this – is, this is pretty much the way it is if I'm right side up. And I don't know if it's in that – what you're reading there, but the article went on to say that it's happened multiple times at that location. And that it's unclear who is supposed to maintain yeah. this crossing. There's a fight between the city, the state – United Pacific. Wow. They're all like, oh, it's that guy. It's their thing. It's theirs. Well, it's so, Bill's job, not mine. They're not 
sure who's supposed to fix it. Is maybe this is like uh, like a little Bermuda Triangle area? Could be hmm. where there's just weird magnetic, you know, electromagnetic impulses like that a, go on there. The, that, ne- the nexus of responsibility uh-huh. leaves a hole right in the middle. Right. Wow. Didn't you ch- uh, take a vacation to the Bermuda Triangle last summer? Uh, yeah, a few summers ago, actually. Yeah. Yeah. I don't remember much about it. Well, you came back really tan. Did you notice that? Yeah. I know. And I hadn't even been outside. But you used to have seven kids, right? <laughs> totally. Totally. Well, we're glad the lady's alive. But you got to watch out if you're in Muldrow, Oklahoma, man. And somebody better take responsibility for heaven's sakes. Come on. Anyway, tons of uh, exciting stuff straight ahead. We're going to be talking about how to handle, handle your stress by understanding your and gaining some emotional intelligence. That'll help you understand how you handle it and how to fix it. All of that straight ahead right here on the Matt Townsend Show on Sirius XM 143 BYU Radio. You know, we stress when we are struck in traffic and, uh, you know, or stuck in traffic and late for work. We stress over forgetting a loved one's birthday. We become stressed when we have kids crying in a backseat of our car. Stress is part of who we are, and even the strongest person can't avoid stress completely. A majority of stress comes from the workplace, and surprisingly, work-related stress is blamed for about 120,000 deaths per year. Our guest today is Ann Grady. She's a motivational speaker on leadership topics, and she joins us to help us understand how better to handle our stress. Ann, thank you so much for being with us today. Good morning, Matt. Thanks for having me. It's, I mean, stress is, it's, it's a part of life. It's a part of our existence. And, um, but is, is the problem that we have more stress today, or is the problem we just aren't handling it as well? Well, I definitely think in the age of technology and the busyness of our lives, it's easy to feel more stressed than we used to. But it's not that the stress has increased. It's our ability to manage that stress has not kept up with all of the new things that are coming at us. So, you know, stress is usually defined as the psychological and physical state that happens when our resources are not enough for the demands placed on us. And so it's not necessarily a matter of, am I going to be stressed? Because the answer is yes. It's when I am stressed, how do I learn how to proactively manage that so it doesn't completely tear me apart? Mm. That's, that's the bottom line. Yeah. I mean, that's, I guess that's it. We have to somehow increase our capacity, um, our abilities, our skills, our insight, our awareness to handle this stress. What, talk about what are some of the more common sources of stress today. Well, it depends. Um, I I listened to your guest yesterday talk about happiness, and and one of the things she said was that it's different for everybody. Right. And stress is the same thing. You know, they've they've done studies where they found that for police officers, filling out the paperwork was more stressful than Mm. their actual job. So it really depends on the individual. For some of us, it's feeling overwhelmed. For others, it's, you know, not feeling like we're smart enough. For some, it's not being able to be everything to everyone and, and trying to balance work and life and everything in between. So it's a personal thing, and it's really about figuring out your relationship with stress. 
which sounds funny, but we all have a relationship with stress and we get addicted to it. It creates these chemicals in our brain that really become a craving. And so if we're not careful, we intentionally, you know, it's not, well, it's unintentional, but we create situations where we thrive on it. So true. And and that can become addictive. Yeah. Well, and like, I mean, I love, I love doing radio because it's, there's that tension, there's stress there. And it's it's a you know it's like you get to act you get to create it's something real and then it all goes away as soon as it you deliver it well and then the next minute we're doing it again and so is I guess some stress then it's not all negative no no and you know I can relate when I'm on stage or when I'm about to go on stage I get stressed I get nervous I the adrenaline but. Some people thrive under that. Other people would say, I'd rather sit in a cube and do Excel spreadsheets because I I prefer that type of low-stress environment. For me, if you put me in a cubicle with an Excel spreadsheet, I'd go nuts. Yeah, me too. Talk about stress. Yeah, so it's, um, you know, some stress is good. It's just, it it differs from the individual. So you want some type of heightened state of awareness because it's when we do our best work. It's when we think most clearly. But like anything else, it's in moderation. If you overdo that and you are on the top of the stress curve, then it, it tends to be counterproductive and it ends up creating all kinds of unintended side effects. Mm. Like, um, I mean, we, we know there's chemistry involved, adrenaline's involved, cortisol, stress hormone. Um, what else does it do to our body? What What is, I guess, because it, we, we can become addicted to it as well, but we might actually be hurting ourselves. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. Um, And I don't know how much you know about my story, but I I truly believe that it was the reason I got cancer. No. Um, So when we are stressed, our emotional brain pretty much hijacks our logical brain. And like you said, we're flooded with cortisol, adrenaline, noradrenaline, norepinephrine, and that basically shuts down our ability to think clearly, to think logically. Well, I have a, a son who is severely mentally ill. And so since the day he was born, it's been very difficult. And uh, over a long period of time, when he was about 10 years old, I was diagnosed with a tumor in my salivary gland, and it resulted in facial paralysis and radiation and eye surgery and a broken Mm. foot and all kinds of things. But when it's sustained, our body is not – it's not made to – manage that level of sustained overload for a long period of time. So some people get sick, other people turn to vices, alcohol, food, drugs, whatever it is, um, just as a coping mechanism. And if we don't learn how to manage it proactively, we keep coming against these same situations that trigger us. And a trigger is just like a knee-jerk reaction that you have Um, that you might not even realize that you have to a certain person or situation or job or whatever it might be. So it's, it's the, the key is don't get rid of the stress, change your relationship with it. That is, I mean, it's funny because what a, what a weird word, but a relationship, your relationship with stress, it's, I think it's a fascinating way to look at it. I love relationship kind of work anyway, but because it, it is something you're feeling, it's something you're experiencing, it motivates you. But just like relationships, doing all of those things, it can also hurt you, suck the life out of you, exhaust you, exactly. make you avoid it. Right. Powerful is well, and I didn't because uh, it's funny, and I didn't I, I didn't know that part of your story in your life. I mean, I did know that you had a child with disabilities, and um, I I looked and I 
because the funny thing is we don't know what everyone else is going through. But when I look at a mother with a child with severe disabilities, um, I think, what an angel. What a blessed angel mother loving and caring for this child. I never It never dawns on me that you're stressed out of your head. You get frustrated. and I mean, I know you get frustrated and angry, but what that must do to cause stress on you thinking, man, I'm mad at my child all the time. And so a lot of our stress is just us re- reacting to our own stress. But I think what you said was really important, Matt, and it's when you look at somebody else that has this situation. So we do something called comparative suffering. And it means that we compare our joy, our suffering to that of the people around us. So, you know, I'll speak at an event or I'll do a professional development session and I'll have someone come up to me afterwards and say, wow, my situation is nothing compared to yours. And it's all relative, right? We all deal with our own, we all have our own cross to bear. We all deal with our own situation differently. And so it's not that if you have a sick dog, that's any less relevant than someone who has a sick child if that dog is like your child, right? Um, But there's also something in social psychology called the fundamental attribution error, and I find this fascinating. And I don't know if you've heard of it, but yeah, it's basically when other people do something wrong, like let's say you see someone run a stop sign, and your initial thought is, what a jerk, right? They could have hurt somebody. They could have killed somebody. So you judge them according to their action, but you assign it to their character. That person's careless. When we do something, when we accidentally run a stop sign because we didn't see it or we're in a rush or it just... For whatever reason, we accidentally did it. We think, oops, I can't believe I did that. I'm so glad no one got hurt. But we assign it to our intent. I didn't Mm. mean to do that. And so part of the ability to navigate stress is to give people the benefit of the doubt, the most hopeful interpretation of their behavior, because I think what many of us do, and me included, I mean, it's a human thing, but we create more stress because we tell ourselves these stories that aren't even based in reality. So somebody walks by us at work or at school and doesn't say hello to us, right? Well, they could have been going through something that that we don't know about, but we spend the time ruminating about, did I say something that was wrong? Why are they upset with me? That was rude. I can't believe they did that. They clearly don't have, you know, whatever it is, we create these stories that become our reality and they shape our behavior. And the stronger our emotion, the more likely it is to dictate our behavior. That's true. Then it, then I call that jacked up because we're hijacked, right? We're jacked up by our emotion and that, and then we're not thinking anymore. Correct. And our emotional brain works 80,000 times faster than our logical brain. And so most people don't even realize it's happening. Oh boy. We are jacked up. (laughs) Our emotional brain operates 80,000 times faster. Yes. And so most people don't realize that they have an emotional reaction to every single thing that happens before they have a logical thought or reaction about it. And because it's happening so fast, the only way to navigate it is to be proactive about how you'll manage it when it comes. And, And it's a lifelong practice. It's just like you talked about yesterday, happiness. It's not an event. It's a practice. So I research this. I teach it. I practice it. And I still screw it up. You know, it, yeah. it really is just about a practice. You don't get it right. You build the skills over time, and that's what improves resilience, and that's what helps you better navigate it. And you notice what's working and what's not working, and you adjust and make shifts. But the way we n- navigate stress, the way we handle it, is a habit. And, and in that's order a, to change a habit, there are some things you have to do. That's a better way to look at it. I mean, otherwise, we think it's like a character flaw. 
Exactly. And then we get – then we're really depressed because, man, see, I'm, I'm such a loser. I can't even control not yelling at my kids anymore. Like what exactly. a mess am I – but you're saying yeah. it's a habit. So you just need to notice your triggers, notice your patterns. That, that is by definition what emotional intelligence is, right? It's the ability to recognize it, to mitigate it, to change it, to be different. Sure. And, and I view emotional intelligence as understanding your own mood and how it shows up how it affects other people, being able to be socially aware, um, be aware of others and, and being able to empathize. But more important, it's using that information to guide your behavior. So if you're walking down the hall and you see someone who looks incredibly upset, you know that's probably not the time to ask for a favor. Right. That's emotional intelligence. If you ask for the favor anyway, that's the lack of it. Knowing it is only one part of it. Acting and behaving on it is really the key. Oh, interesting. Yeah. So if you know you're not supposed to ask and you ask, you are right. jacked up. You right. are. And you, you've let your emotional. And I mean, we all do it. Yeah, right? totally. We all get into situations where someone does something that bothers us and it's not the right time and we bring it up anyway. You know, so nobody is perfect in emotional intelligence and it's easy to look at others and compare, but. Just like on Facebook, we compare ourselves to others, and that's dangerous because we're comparing our inside to their outside. You know, nobody advertises when they completely lose their mind at home and scream. Nobody advertises when they have a total meltdown and cry for two hours. Right. We advertise the happy stuff. And it's... so it's easy to start feeling like, why does everybody else seem to have it all together, and I don't? It's so true. And even when we advertise our ugly side, we're doing it not to even necessarily show our real ugly side, but to show, I don't know, to, to humanize us. I don't know what it is because I, I see a lot of people now talking more and more about their ugly side on their social media, but but they're almost holding it up like, see how messed up I am? I'm actually <laughs> this messed up. I don't know. It, it seems like we need solutions like you're talking about, Anne. And um, let's take a break, come back, and have you start teaching us how we, how we can start to manage this stress and, and, and improve our emotional intelligence. Anne Grady is her name. If you go check out her website, anngradygroup.com, you can find out more information about her best-selling books. One book is called Strong Enough, Choosing Courage, Resilience, and Triumph by Anne Grady. We'll continue the journey. Stick with us. This is The Matt Townsend Show, helping you be the good in the world. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. On the phone with us is Ann Grady. Ann is a keynote speaker on change management, resilient leadership, um, communication, and emotional intelligence, and is also the author of um, uh, two best-selling books, Strong Enough, Choosing Courage, Resilience, and Triumph, and uh, 52 Strategies for Life. And another book is Love and Work, Transforming Your Life One Week at a Time. Ann, thank you so much for being with us again. Thank you again for having me. And uh, talking about uh, this emotional intelligence and, and trying to de-stress, we, I guess one of the, the keys to, to creating some growth in our, in our stress management is, I guess we got to know ourselves. We got to know what triggers us. Exactly. 
And it's also important to know what de-stresses you. So we tend to think that what works for one person works for us. So just because your friend drinks kale smoothies and does yoga and that brings oh, them a lot of relief. They drive me crazy. Because <laughs> clearly they've never tried bacon. Right. But, um, but yeah, so it, it really is a very personal, like I said, relationship with it and the way you manage it. Most people think, I don't have time to learn how to manage it. And the reason they can't is the real reason they need to. Hmm. And do you, I mean, I guess um, there are so many solutions out there. And if you, for example, can't, you're not into yoga, but you could derive a lot of the benefits of mindfulness or the of, of meditation or, I mean, there's a lot of different ways to do to, to calm yourself down. And because the way we navigate stress is a habit, doing it once or twice isn't going to let you know if it's effective. Right. So a lot of people say, well, I meditated for a week and it didn't work. Yeah. And so it's, it's, it's having patience with yourself and giving yourself permission to fail and try again and ultimately figure out what works for you. But it does take time. It's like trying a new medication. It takes time to see if it's going to work and sometimes it doesn't and then you have to try a different medication and it can be very frustrating while you're waiting for it to work but it's absolutely necessary so stress and and the way we navigate it is the same does you you call it protection mode help us understand what that means because i i could see that um we might we might quickly give up on some of our um, on our desire to control some of this, even as a way to protect ourselves? Well, one, we can't control it. And as a self-professed control freak, that drives me crazy. <laughs> you know, it's, it's thinking that we can control external situations, people, and circumstances that starts the challenge. Because we only have control over our reaction and response. And again, that's common sense, but it's not common practice. Uh, so it's figuring out um, for you... What, what do you get out of the stress? Like, what is it doing for you that's bringing you a benefit? Because unless you're getting some benefit, you wouldn't do it. And like you mentioned, our brain is, has evolved over the course of the years, but what hasn't changed is our fight-or-flight mechanism. So we have an emotional center of our brain. It's called our limbic system. And in there are these two little guys called the amygdala. And the amygdala are our threat state center. So when we get a, when we see a snake in the middle of a path while we're walking, it triggers it. But when we get a snarky email from our boss, it does the exact hmm. same thing. So your brain doesn't know the difference between a physical threat and, a, you know, an intellectual threat. It just operates the same way. And when it does, all of those stress chemicals are released. And those are the things we become addicted to. It's the same thing that happens, for example, if you have a phone where you've ever thought you heard a text beep or a vibration or a buzz and it really wasn't there, it's yeah. called a phantom alert. Yeah. But what happens is every time you hear that, whether you realize it or not, you get this blast of dopamine, and that's the feel-good neurotransmitter. So people don't realize they're doing it, but the average American checks their phone every six minutes. You know, that's 150 times a day. Ugh. And we do that because what could that instant gratification, what is that email that I'm waiting for? Am I going to win something? Did I close a deal? Did I um, get tickets to the event I wanted? And, and usually we're, we're self-defeating ourselves before we ever get started. Boy, we are, aren't we? And we don't even notice it, but we are, we're also getting a weird payoff, I guess, chemically. 
Right. And um, so, so I guess we need to figure out really what's what, how are we benefiting from being stressed all the time because we keep perpetuating it. What are some other things we should be doing to to manage the stress better? So one of the things that you can do is the same thing every single doctor has told you since you were a child. Eat better, sleep more, exercise. Like most people know that they should be eating better. Most people know that they should exercise more. Most people know that they should get more sleep. But there's a difference between knowing it and making the emotional connection to doing it. And so, for example, exercise. It's not the thing that I get excited about. I don't, I don't get that runner's high that other people talk about. I, I swim, and when I'm done, I feel proud that I did it. But yeah. it's not something that I look forward to necessarily. I'm not one of those who's like, oh, I can't wait to go exercise and sweat. I, that's not me. However, um, as someone who has suffered from depression since 19 years old, I can tell you that it tamps down the stress response. It heals neurons that have been damaged by stress triggers. It allows you to create new neurotransmitters in your brain that start um, depending on that to drive your relief rather than unhealthy habits. So, for example, eating eating right. I know it sounds like uh, everybody's already told me that. Well, there's a reason because when you have a bunch of garbage in your body, you're, you're swollen, it leads to inflammation, and you're not processing it. Um, another you know, uh, strategy that most people don't realize is their expectations. And this was a big lesson for me. Um, I think that anytime our expectations and reality are out of alignment, we feel frustrated and disappointed. And what we don't realize is that we spend a lot of our day expecting how other people should behave, what should be happening, what's fair, what's right, what's not. And when that and reality don't match up, we feel frustrated. So you can't change your reality a lot of the time. Sometimes you can. But it's really about reevaluating your expectations and, and are they fair, right? And so, so true. That, that's one. Gratitude sounds crazy, but it's another one, and it's been shown to reduce cortisol by 23%. And what's fascinating is you don't even have to find anything to be grateful for. The simple act of looking releases serotonin and dopamine, which are the, the feel-good neurotransmitters that are in most antidepressants. So... You know, it's the small things, and, and I, I listened to your show yesterday. I thought it was fascinating. Um, your, your guest uh, was fantastic. And so Susan, Susanna was talking about how happiness is relative, and, and it's different for everybody, mm. but part of it is being grateful for the things you have. So it, it sounds touchy-feely, fluffy. It works. Yeah. Well, and I didn't know how, how so much of it is just it's, it's chemical. Quite literally. Yep. I mean, I always thought of like gratitude as as spiritual, right? So we're communing with God. We're thanking God for what we've been given or abundance or whatever words you want to use. But then to know that your body actually makes a physiological uh, chemical, you know, exchange makes sense as well. And so not even having to find anything, but just looking for something that you're grateful for engages chemistry. That's huge. It is. It's huge. And I think that's where most people um, lose their motivation because it, it doesn't always happen right away. I look for things to be grateful for all the time. It doesn't mean it always changes my mood and relieves stress, but it becomes a habit. So here's what's fascinating to me. You find what you look for. And I'll, I'll give you an example. Have you ever, I'm sure your audience members have dated someone at some point in their life where they thought that that person could be the one and oh, everything yeah. they did was adorable. 
but then somewhere along the line, you figure out that person's not the one and everything they do drives you crazy. And it's not that the person changed, it's the things that you look for, you find. Mm. So when we are looking for things to feel grateful for, we tend to find them more, whereas when our filter is more negative, we start looking for all the reasons life isn't fair, all the reasons we have too much going on, we can't do it. And so that becomes huge. And and the messages that we send ourselves, I can't do it, I'm tired, I don't want to do it anymore. Trust me, I say those things naturally because I feel them sometimes. Yeah. But if we're not replacing those with more productive thoughts, then we work ourselves into this place where we're no longer able to have the physical, intellectual, emotional resources to combat the difficult stuff. And so this is like, this is just as much a muscle or a skill and an ability, a habit. This is every bit of a habit as anything else we do in our life. Yeah, and that's what's so interesting to me. And that's what my research found is that every time you manage stress and every time you practice resilience, you're building that muscle. It's a skill. I used to think those things were in your genetics, like skinny thighs, right? You either have them or you don't. Yeah, you got them or you don't. But what I've come to appreciate over time is that this is a practice. And I know it sounds horrible, but we achieve strength through struggle. When we make it through a challenging time, we learn something. It's called post-traumatic growth. And the average person experiences five to six traumas in a lifetime. Mm. So these are skills they should be teaching at school. I use resilience more than I use algebra. It's, it's really about practicing the skill and building the muscle. Unbelievable. And again, because the whole time I'm sitting there thinking, oh, yeah, but what does Anne know? I mean, she did write a book, but she also did have a bout with depression and still does probably and has a child with disabilities and is not perfect. No, not by any stretch. But I love that idea that, um, you know, we achieve growth through struggle. But a lot of us don't want to feel the pain. So I guess right. we just we don't hide like from being it. uncomfortable. And the most resilient folks, the ones that can deal with stress the best, are the ones that know that you have to get comfortable being uncomfortable. Mm. Right? We don't learn and grow when everything is hunky-dory. We have to take risks, and we have to fail. And when, we, when I talk about building resilience and being an effective leader in organizations, those who learn resilience and who fail and run to that failure as a way to learn from it are more resilient. They have more resilient and productive teams. They have better, you know, more resilient families. So it's not trying to buffer yourself from the bad stuff. It's using it as a catalyst yeah. to help you grow. Wow, Anne. Great insight, great stuff, and uh, we so appreciate you having you, having you on the show. We will we'll have to have you back because there's just so much we could learn from Anne Grady. Go check out her website, com. And uh, you can get more information there on her books, her her, uh, most recent book, Strong Enough, Choosing Courage, Resilience, and Triumph. Uh, Powerful, powerful tool, I think, for all of us to uh, become more resilient, to grow that resilient strength and muscle. Uh, A lot to live and a lot to learn. We'll continue the journey, folks. Stick with us. This is the Matt Townsend Show, helping you be the good in the world. Shines in a different way. And I smell. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. Um, it's it's almost time to wrap up, and it's it's hard for me. I always get so sad at the end of the week. No, you don't. Come on. What do you mean? 
Of course you're, I do. You are doing cartwheels when you're out of here by 9 o'clock on Fridays. I can't do a cartwheel. Not because you don't want to speak to your listener. You want to... You just are excited it's, that you don't have to do that ninth or the nap, 9 o'clock it's hour. It's nap time. It's time to go take my nap. Yeah. Uh, but coming up in just three minutes, of course, screen cleaning with Jeffrey Liam Simpson. We're going to be talking about fake relationships in movies. Okay. So let me give you an example. Somebody that's pretending to be in a relationship within the movie in order to accomplish some scheme. Ooh, yes. Yeah. Those I don't like. The reason we're talking about – well, that's all they made in the 80s and 90s. Yeah, that's probably Um, why I don't like them. The reason we're talking about that is because our guest today did an experiment that involved fake relationships in her marriage preparation class. Holy cow. Really? Yes. This is exciting. With surprising results. What? Kind really? of the makings of a romantic comedy, you might oh, say. Oh, my heavens. So this is – you'll talk about that. Anything else? Any other keys? Any core? Anything yeah. we need to – I think a lot of people would like to read or watch Stephen King adaptations. Uh, the problem is they're not really all that family appropriate. Right. So I've zeroed in on a few options for you if you m- simply must – Watch a Stephen King adaptation. Why, why, why would you ever be forced to watch a Stephen King Well, you would – I didn't – no, if you, if you simply must, meaning if you – your desire is just too overwhelming. Yeah, you've got to have it. Now, this yeah. was amazing to me because I – again, I don't follow movies that well. But when I – you and I started going over that list of all of his films, he's, he's made a lot of films that are incredibly well-known. They – make a movie or like even a short movie out of pretty much everything he does. I did not know The Shining was a Stephen King. Really? Yeah. Did not know that. That's kind of one of his most famous stories. I mean... Some would argue the most famous. Some would argue the guy's got a really warped brain. Well, some shouldn't be arguing. That's a great point. That's what my mom always told me. See, this is why you're going to want... You will want to watch or listen to Screen Cleaning with Jeff because... He gives you little pieces of advice like that, like we shouldn't probably argue. Good stuff. Jeff, thank you. <laughs> That's uh, about 30 seconds away, folks, and you're going to be able to enjoy it. Um, thanks for being with us. We can't do the show without you. And if you want more information, if you want to find us on iTunes, on TuneIn, on Stitcher, you can look up the show at uh, byuradio.org. You can go to matttownsend.com. We're everywhere, folks. But uh, we'll be back again Monday, locked and loaded, ready for more fun to help you live longer, love stronger, lead healthier, happier lives. Stick with us, though, through this break, because screen cleaning, up next. Good morning. This is Ron Brokaw at the SE News Desk with breaking news. Scientists have discovered goldfish the size of footballs swimming in rivers all over Australia. Many of the mammoth goldfish weigh around four pounds. Goldfish experts are tracking the fish movements and sizes in an effort to control the invasive species. The experts say dumped goldfish can harm water quality, disturb habitats, and compete with native species. If left to grow and thrive, they can live up to... 25 years and be more than 15 inches long. And now a word of warning. If you have young children near an Australian river, please keep them locked up tight in your home. 
at least until authorities have taken care of these gold menaces. We'll bring you updates as they become available. We now take you live to Screen Cleaning with Jeff Simpson. My goodness, I'm so glad I don't live near Australia, I guess, because I don't want to run into one of those goldfish the size of a football. We'll see what updates Ron has for us throughout the show. Uh, welcome to Screen Cleaning. My name is Jeff Simpson, and I'm joined here today by uh, uh, Alex Hyden. Good morning. Alex, thank you so much for coming in and running the board and, and being part of the program today. My pleasure. I'm really excited. So You're going to have a good time because every Friday at 9 a.m. Mountain Time, 11 a.m. Eastern Time, we're here to give you the very best in entertainment news and to shine a big old spotlight on all things that are good in entertainment. And speaking of the best in entertainment news, I want to give you the best in Netflix news. Uh, there's a little show that uh, I'm a huge fan of. Didn't start out on Netflix, but it was uh, resurrected on Netflix. I'm speaking, of course, of Arrested Development. And this this is the 8-bit version of the Arrested Development theme song. Production of Season 5 begins next week, according to Jason Bateman, the star of the show. So excited for that. Oh, Such a funny show, and I love how this is one of the shows on Netflix when it made the transition onto Netflix from TV. They didn't didn't put in all sorts of bad language. The bad language is still bleeped out, and uh, it makes it even funnier, in my opinion. In the best sequel news, we were given a 14-second teaser to the sequel to Ant-Man, which is titled Ant-Man and the Wasp. 14 seconds. I don't know if that's really enough to get me excited, but I did love the movie Ant-Man. Did you see Ant-Man, Alex? I didn't see Ant-Man, but I saw Civil... I think it was Civil War, Captain America, Civil War, and he was in that. And I thought he was one of the best parts in the movie, so... Dude, you gotta see Ant-Man. It's it's a smaller Marvel film, which makes it really good, because I think all these other Marvel films believe that they have to be bigger and better and more epic to... You know, they all, they're always raising the stakes, but I just like how it's a more simple story. So check it out and then look for maybe next they'll do a 24-second teaser of Ant-Man and the Wasp. Who knows? And also in our best franchise news, uh, many of you have probably seen the film Creed. It's a good movie. Which is basically Rocky Part Six. Uh, yeah. So uh, there's going to be a Creed 2. Thank goodness, because Creed 1 was amazing. And Sylvester Stallone has teased in a tweet, he's shown the uh, the handwritten notes for Creed 2, and he put hashtag Drago. If you're not familiar with the Rocky franchise, Ivan Drago, or Ivan Drago, was the main villain in Rocky Part 4. A great addition to the series. Besides the first one, I think Rocky Four is probably the best one. Really? Okay. I mean, the whole living in America montage with Apollo Creed and everything. I mean, <laughs> and steroids. James Brown. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, anyway, so super excited that Sylvester Stallone might somehow fight Ivan Drago, or maybe Ivan Drago's son is going to fight Apollo Creed's son. I don't want to give away any spoilers, but something happens to Apollo Creed. 
in Rocky Part Four. So this makes sense that uh, he would make an appearance in Creed Two. Super excited about that. Oh, let's see what else is going on in our best of news. Are you uh, are you going to watch any movies this weekend, Alex? Uh, I might see Dunkirk finally. Oh, you've got to see that. Best movie of the year, in my good. opinion. You know, I really want to go to the movies, but I just don't think there's anything to see in the movie theaters. Oh, wait a minute. Wait a minute. That sound could only mean one thing, which means I'm wrong. There actually is something out in the movie theater today that I could go see. And I guess we'll we'll head over to Rod Gustafson with Parent Previews to find out what that movie is. Rod, are you there? I am here. Now, I, I must admit, Jeff, I'm a little bit distracted. I want to see Rocky fight one of those giant goldfish. While I was sitting here <laughs> listening to you guys, I couldn't help but Google giant goldfish. You should see there's people all over the place hanging on to these things that they've caught. They really They're are huge. the size of a football. Yeah. I think it'd be a great little thriller, a horror movie, you know, the giant goldfish <laughs> that lives under your bed. <laughs> so I guess there's something in the movie theater this weekend that we ought to be seeing or that we should be aware of at least. Well, I think this one's probably going to be the primary winner this weekend, although I kind of did mediocre last night in Thursday openings. Uh, but this is The Dark Tower. And, of course, this is a film that's based on the Stephen King uh, series of books, from of what course. I understand. I, I have not read them, but I understand. I think there's eight of them. So, warning, sequel, this, this is a franchise about to be born, or hopefully about <laughs> to be born. It's the summer of franchises. That seems to be what Hollywood really wants these days. Um, so, yeah, I went into this one, I guess, with mixed feelings, not sure what to expect. And uh, it, 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 first of all, is short. And it's probably a good thing it's short, because if it were any longer, I think it would only do itself more harm than good. And uh, this movie has a, a teen protagonist. And uh, his name is Jake. And he's a high school kid who is having he's just being racked by these nightmares that he has every night about this man in black who is uh, kidnapping uh, young people and strapping them into these crazy funky looking chairs and using their thoughts to send these electrical kind of laser impulses at this dark tower that he's trying to destroy and knock down. And, uh, and then there's this other guy who's called the gunslinger who's trying to fight the bad sorcerer, knocking down the dark tower. And so this poor kid's trying to make, he's trying to make sense of all of this in his head. Uh, the guy who's moved in with his mom because his dad died a little while ago, he just wants this, this young boy sent to an insane asylum, uh, which he manages to do. But when the two guys show up, uh, or man and woman show up, uh, from the mental institution to take him away, guess what? He recognizes that they are people from his dreams. Uh-huh. And so now, yeah, so now we're crossing, you know, that we're teetering on this. Well, is this real or is this not real? So long story short, he escapes from them, gets out into the streets of New York, and using clues from his dreams, he finds a portal to another world and another planet where he walks into his dreamscape and meets these people that he has been dreaming about. And on it goes from there, the adventure begins. See, Rod, this sounds like the making of, of a great movie. Now, why is it not doing too well critically? Well, you know, so I, I looked at the reviews after I wrote my review. I was a little surprised at how poorly it was doing. 
Um, but so first of all, looking at the artistic issues on this, a lot of plot holes and a lot of unanswered questions. Now, admittedly, it engaged me. It intrigued me. I want to see the next one. But at the same time, I was getting more and more frustrated. The biggest question for me is this man in black who's played by Matthew McConaughey. He, he basically, he wants to destroy the entire universe, but why? And if he does, then all these monsters are going to take over and like, is so is he one of the monsters? Is he getting paid off by the monsters? Is he going to have a nice house in Malibu somewhere when this is done? I don't know. And so there's not a lot of, um, there's not a lot of context to what's going on. And so, and it's a very two dimensional antagonist who is missing motivation and just a lot of questions that, that really aren't answered. And frankly, if they aren't answered in the sequel, I think I'm done. And I think the whole, the whole franchise may be Ah, done as well. You know, and I couldn't take Matthew McConaughey seriously in the trailer because he's got that (laughs) Southern draw with that little bit of a whistle to his voice. Uh, Uh, Wow. Okay. So what do you think you would give, what, what sort of a grade would you assign this movie? Well, you know, I was teetering on our B minus C plus, which is the big, the big line in the sand at parent previews. A B minus means we're barely recommending it. A C plus means we're barely not. Well, it fell on the barely not line. And I think the main reason is, is, you know, you have a sense that this is going to try and say something important, maybe in part two, um, and that there will be some good moral messages here. But I'm really not sure. And what we do have is a lot of violence. It seems people on other worlds like guns just as much as we like them here. And uh, so this one character, the gunslinger, I mean, this guy is just shooting, shooting, shooting. And the only thing that saves this from an R rating is the fact that we don't see much blood. There's a couple of bloody injuries, but that's about it. So we're not talking explicit tissue damage and that type of thing. But wow, this is all about bullets. And uh, and so you've got all this violence and really not a whole lot to to make it worthwhile. I mean, the big usual cinematic justification for violence is if we don't shoot people, then the universe is going to be destroyed as we know it. So you've got this wonderful justification. But, you know, we've seen, been there, done that so many times. And uh, I haven't read the book. I know, Steve, I'm not a huge Stephen King. In fact, I've never read a Stephen King book. I've seen a couple of the movies. Um, and I have the feeling there's a lot of bits and pieces missing because a guy who has as much claim to fame as Stephen King must be able to write better than what we're getting in this script. So I'm going to give it a little bit of a break based on that. But as I say, part two had better improve. Well, Rod, we really appreciate you. And, uh, oh, man, it's a little it's too bad that uh, you weren't able to give it a positive review or just barely a negative review, it sounds like, because there are so few PG-13 rated Stephen King adaptations, it seems, which is interesting because when we come back, uh, we're going to we're going to give you a little bit of a, a hint or a little bit of a push in the right direction of where you might be able to find a Stephen King adaptation that would be a little more appropriate. When we return, this is screen cleaning on the Matt Townsend show. But, but, oh, wait a minute. I think we're getting a news update from Ron Brokaw. Yeah, let me see this here. Uh, It looks like... Oh my goodness, this is our ripped from the headline segment for today. The uh, the goldfish the size of a football that, that he was talking about earlier, they, oh my goodness, it looks like Hollywood producers are making a film out of this 
phenomenon, and uh, I believe, if I'm not mistaken, we have a trailer for it already. Billy, where's Goldie? I put him in the lake. What could go wrong? Descending Fisher. It's at least 200 feet, Novak. <laughs> Sam? Something bit me! Sam, what are you seeing down there? <laughs> It's like this body's been in the water for weeks. I want to know what this thing is doing in my lake. Goldfish hunt in packs. The first bite draws blood. The blood draws the pack. This Christmas, little Goldie's out of his bag. Now he's out for revenge. Goldie, this ends now. Goldie, the goldfish the size of a football. Welcome back to Screen Cleaning on the Matt Townsend Show. This is Jeff Simpson. Now, I know for a fact that is not a Stephen King adaptation. But, uh, wow, it's too bad that uh, The Dark Tower did not get better reviews because it would have been great to see a PG-13 Stephen King movie. They're, They're so few and far between. I mean, there's... 1408, which was that haunted hotel room movie with Samuel L. Jackson and John Cusack. John Cusack, right, yeah. Yeah, and there was Secret Window with Johnny Depp and John Turturro, also kind of a a good spooky one, both PG-13. However, really, I I, I don't know that I can in good conscience recommend – any of the Stephen King adaptations here on Screen Cleaning. But what I can do is make you aware of some other options you might have. I I want you to know I spent a lot of time on this. I was digging through all of the adaptations of Stephen King because there are so many of them. Anytime he lifts his pen, somebody's right there behind him to make an adaptation of whatever it is he's writing. So ABC back in the day made quite a few miniseries of his stories. Some were adapted from short stories, some from novels. I remember growing up loving the miniseries The Langoliers. Never heard of it. Which is a great premise. These dozen or so passengers on a plane wake up to discover that all the other passengers, including the pilots, have mysteriously vanished. Are they they still in the air? They're still in the air, so they have to figure out a way to land the plane and then figure out what is going on, what happened to all the the other passengers. As a kid, I loved it. The effects now are going to be super dated because this was, you know, 20 years ago. Uh, You're dating yourself there. Yeah. (laughs) If If you've wanted to watch The Shining, which is arguably Stephen King's most famous story slash movie, even though he did not like the R-rated film that uh, Stanley Kubrick made— they did make a miniseries of it on ABC. I did not know the that. The Shining. I, I know the movie was filmed near my hometown of Portland, Oregon. At oh, the, uh, yeah, yeah. The ski lodge up there. So that's, that's a right. place. Haven't uh, heard about the ABC series, though. So I think it was a big hit. And again, it was on TV. So at least it was much more appropriate than the R-rated version would be. You're probably familiar with It, oh, another yeah. miniseries on ABC. And, you know... That is important now because they're coming out with yet another adaptation of it in movie form. Definitely is going to be rated R. So if you don't mind outdated effects, 
You might want to consider the ABC version of It. I, re- I remember going to Blockbuster and seeing the It, you know, VHS sleeve, and it just scared oh, me. Oh, yeah. So Tim Curry I'm staying away from that one. is one of the creepiest actors. Yeah, very. he did a great job as the clown. And then a few others I haven't seen that you might want to consider, two of them on ABC, Storm of the Century and The Stand, as well as Salem's Lot, a CBS miniseries. So again... These were at least appropriate enough to put on TV, and this is back, you know, 20, 30 years ago, and they had more stringent, uh, they had more restrictions on TV back then. So just some options for you. Again, I, I spent a lot of time on that figuring out what they were, just so that you could identify something. If you simply must watch a Stephen King adaptation, it's probably a safe place to be without having to worry too much about the content that you would get in an R-rated film. When we come back, we're going to completely change gears, and we're going to be speaking with a BYU professor who tried a little experiment in her marriage preparation class with surprising results. When we return, this is Screen Cleaning on The Matt Townsend Show. Like I said, we're going to completely change gears. We're no longer talking about Stephen King adaptations. Uh, We're speaking here with Tammy Hill, who's a licensed marriage and family therapist and a professor at BYU. And every semester, she asks her students to participate in a project that sounds more like a romantic comedy than a school assignment. She asks them to participate in a 14-day fake relationship. Now, is this just a disaster waiting to happen, or is it an opportunity to learn and grow? Here to speak with us is Tammy Hill herself. Welcome to the uh, welcome to Screen Cleaning, Tammy. Hi, how are you? Good. Thank you for being here. So, I am I am so curious about this. I I I told you during the break that when I heard about this, I it just screamed romantic comedy because there are so many fake relationships in romantic comedies. In fact, we'll talk about that during our next segment a little more. But why don't you start out by just telling us about your 14-day challenge All right, and um, how it all came to be. Okay. So I've taught marriage prep here for the last three years. And um, a lot of students get a lot of knowledge from the class that they don't apply. And so this assignment is an optional assignment. It's along with many other experiential assignments that they can choose from. Um, This is one where they can choose, if they want to, to ask a good friend if they'd like to be in an exclusive relationship for 14 days um, where they're not you know, dating other people. Also, I really encourage them not to get physically involved with each other, but to make it more just a good good dating okay. friendship. Yeah. And to see how it goes. And uh, started this last fall, so it's been two semesters that they've had the opportunity. Most of the students don't choose this assignment. <laughs> but those who have, I've had four weddings that have come from this assignment that I'm aware of. Seriously? Yeah. Oh, my goodness. So... You're a little matchmaker there. <laughs> no, they're choosing it all. I'm just giving wow. them a little um, nudge incentive okay. to move in that direction. So what when you started out doing this, what was kind of the purpose of this assignment? To apply, apply what we learn. Um, we talk about a lot of things in marriage preparation, a lot of self-awareness type of things 
um, the idea and the principles of marriage and how God has ordained marriage for his children and then um, taking the things that we learn and applying them, like I was saying. Yeah. I think we have a lot of wis- uh, knowledge, but we don't have a lot of wisdom. And I think taking knowledge to the next step where we're actually living what we know, this is one way that they can do that and yeah. become more wise for it. This is so interesting. So what – obviously – this might come as a shock to some students. Mm-hmm. What kind of reactions do they have when you present this to them? Oh, big reactions. They look horrified, and then some look really excited. And so, um, the, but again, it's totally their choice if they want to do this to earn the points for the experiential activities. Oh my goodness! I don't. There was nothing like this when I was taking a marriage preparation class. I wonder if I would. I maybe I would have ended up marrying somebody else. I don't know. So <laughs> in a way, I'm grateful that I wasn't a part of your class because I I love my wife. So um, are the students allowed to let other people in on the joke, so to speak, or do they do they have to lead others to believe that that's that it's a real relationship? You mean outside of the, yeah. the two people in the relationship? Yeah. You know, I don't really say it one way or the other. I guess it's up to them to decide what they want to do. And I don't, you know, I, I it can be looked at as a romantic comedy or as a joke. Um, I think when you're really great friends with someone and you have a wonderful relationship and you've been friends for a while and there's not other outside interests going on, why not explore it and see if there might be something more there? Yeah. And again, we're speaking with Tammy Hill, who is a professor at at BYU, uh, a marriage preparation uh, professor. And you mentioned, Tammy, that you've heard of at least four uh, situations where the the couples that have done this experiment have gotten married, right? Right. So did that surprise you? Have you been surprised by the results that you've seen? I... Hmm, I don't know. Surprise. I think it, what's surprising to me is um, the number of students who are afraid to do anything about a relationship that has promise. Yeah. And um, so I think this little nudge in this direction to kind of start living and and choosing to do something about something rather than be afraid all the time is what I've been most surprised at in the past. It's fun to see them actually start to to have some confidence and to try new things. And if they have to earn credit to get a good grade, maybe it's one way to help them do it. Yeah. So you've seen some of the success stories. Have you seen Have you seen the fruits of a relationship that didn't go as well, where they, they broke up, or, you know, maybe the guy liked the girl, but the girl didn't sure. like the guy? What kind of feedback have you gotten from those relationships? That it was a good experiment, generally. That yeah. they learned a lot and um, were grateful for the opportunity to to learn from it. But generally, it's been very well received. Well, that's good. So even in the in the situations where they didn't get married, which is most of the time, it's it's still been a positive experience, right? Right. right. And I think we learn a lot from people we're with. I mean, you look at La La Land. That uh, oh yeah. And the breakup. My kids were so upset about that whole movie, <laughs> and yet you sit and think of the number of people you broke up with, or that I broke up with, and they weren't a waste. We learned all along the way and prepared ourselves further for the next relationship. 
I loved the ending to that. Spoiler alert, by the way. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I don't. I think had it ended the way that your kids were hoping it mm-hmm. would end, I wouldn't be thinking about it days after I saw right. it. You know, right. so much more true to life, just like you said. Yeah. So, um, what kind of advice or words of warning would you give to people that are thinking about, or what do you what do you tell your students when they are thinking about entering into a fake relationship? Hmm. Well, mostly to to not do it unless you're good friends with someone anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, people who tend to be more introverted will choose totally different um, assignments to get credit for. Those that are more extroverted tend to be those that will jump in and try new things like this. Um, I caution them about the physical aspect, like I said. When we get involved with someone touching, kissing, hugging, snuggling, all those types of things, we get emotional. There's a lot of feelings that can be uh, come, and you start confusing those feelings for real love. Is this really love or is this just what I'm feeling right now? And so I encourage them not to have a physical aspect in the relationship yeah, um, at all so that it won't uh, cause more of that type of confusion. That's good because there, there is some danger in that. In fact, there's even a, a term used here on campus and probably elsewhere to the NICMO, the right. non-committal makeout session, mm-hmm. you know, where where you probably end up where either the guy or the girl thinks reads into it too much where the other person is just looking for a, a quote good un, or right. good time you right. know and we talk about that in class a lot yeah. we talk about kissing what does kissing mean when you kiss someone it should have some meaning mm-hmm. um all the types of things of physicality involved with dating yeah so thank you so much for being here by the way here's what I want to do I want uh, when we come back I want us to play a little trivia game on movies about fake relationships and we'll see how well you and Alex do on this and I'll try to I'll be I'll be nice and I'll give you hints and we'll just have a good time when we come back this is screen cleaning on the Matt Townsend show Welcome back to Screen Cleaning on the Matt Townsend Show. We're speaking with the wonderful Tammy Hill, who is a licensed marriage and family therapist and a professor at BYU. We just got finished speaking about fake relationships uh, as an assignment in her course. Very interesting, and we've she's even experienced uh, or heard about some success stories as a result of this assignment. And we want to continue this theme of fake relationships. We're going to carry it over into movies, however, because I was thinking about romantic comedies, and so many of these romantic comedies involve fake relationships for various reasons. There's always some kind of a scheme at play here. So, Tammy and Alex, you can play too. I'm just going to share the premise of some of these movies, and you tell me if... I want you to try to guess what the film is. And if we have time, I'll, I'll share an interesting fact that you may not have known about these movies. So the first one, really easy. Uh, well, I don't want to say that in case you get it wrong, but a player bets his co-workers he can make a woman fall in love with him in just 10 days. Mm. But he bets on the wrong girl, a writer with her own agenda. I'm How to it. lose a guy in 10 days. All right, she got it. Very good. I knew, I knew How to lose a guy in 10 days. I'll let her answer the first one. <laughs> so Matthew McConaughey and Kate Hudson, interesting mm-hmm. fact, Gwyneth 
Gwyneth Paltrow was originally going to star in this movie. So I'm going to share a few more movies where they changed the casting. Um, so it wasn't supposed to be who ultimately was in the movie. Here's another interesting one. Uh, a pushy boss forces her young assistant to marry her in order to keep her visa status in the United States and avoid deportation oh, to Canada. Oh, it has Sandra Bullock. Tan- Tammy knows it. <laughs> the proposal. Ding, 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 I didn't ding. Know the name of it. That's <laughs> right. It is Sandra Bullock. Yeah. Sandra Bullock and Ryan Reynolds. Uh, interesting about this movie, this was the second movie in the same year in which Julia Roberts was offered a leading wow. role and turned it down. And the role ended up going to Sandra Bullock in both movies, this one and The Blind Side. <laughs> oh, she did so great Which in is that. too bad because uh, Sandra Bullock won an Oscar for yes, The Blind Side. Okay. Here, oh, I don't want to give you. I don't want to give you too much of a clue here. A hopeless romantic Chicago Transit Authority token collector. Wow, is mistaken. <laughs> While you were sleeping. For, yes, I didn't even have to finish. See, okay. you're doing great. <laughs> That's my favorite Tammy show. Is yeah. destroying me here. That yeah. is one of my wife's favorite shows too. I love that. So, again. Julia Roberts turned down kidding? this role. Wow. Yeah, it's crazy. You can't win them all. I mean, she has other great movies. So. Well, I think it, it's it's a question of money. She didn't like the. She wasn't getting paid enough to do these movies, so she turned them down. And apparently, that means Sandra Bullock is willing to work for less money. I guess we learned. <laughs> okay, this one's a little more difficult. Okay. Con artist Gwen moves into Newton's empty house without his knowledge and begins setting up house, posing as his new wife. I know. Steve Martin and Goldie Hawn, right? Yeah. Do you know what it is, Alex? I have no idea. What's the name? I don't remember the name Steve Martin. Um, It has house in the title. Big Mama's House. house. I don't know. (laughs) Big Mama's House. House Guest is another movie with Sinbad and uh, Phil Hartman. This is actually House Sitter. Sitter. That's right. Yeah. And another movie that wasn't originally going to go to um, Goldie Hawn, it was going to be played by Meg Ryan. Hmm. She turned it down. Then they were going to offer it to Kim Basinger. So she turned it down, so it went to Goldie Hawn. And I see Goldie Hawn and Steve Martin together. That's a much better match, Mm -hmm. in my opinion. Okay, Uh, here's another one. A cruel and beautiful heiress mocks and cheats over a hired carpenter. When she gets amnesia, he decides to introduce her to working-class life by convincing her their husband and wife. Is it Overboard? That is correct. Yeah, wow. I got it. This is, this is one of those great yeah. high concept movies with two of the most likable people in the movies, Goldie Hawn and Kurt Russell, oh. who have been partner. They've never married, but they've oh, been partners since the 80s. I thought they married. Yeah, they've, they've, they've never done it. They've never tied the knot. Uh, interesting fact about this. Anna Ferris is going to be starring in a remake of this hmm. film next year. Hmm. Okay, uh, here is another one that's kind of an adaptation. A high school jock makes a bet that he can turn an unattractive girl into the school's prom queen. This one's a little more oh, modern. Man, I need, I need this another is, hint because it's, ring, it's ringing a bell. This is when I was in high school. It stars Freddie Prinze Jr. and Rachel Lee Cook. Mm. I'm too old for yeah, that. Yeah, you lost me. I'm sorry. <laughs> it's a it's a modern adaptation of My Fair Lady, and it's called 
She's All That. Hmm. Okay. Uh, now, the major flaw in this movie, in the description, it says he's trying to turn an unattractive girl into the school's prom queen. It's one of those movies where she wears glasses, and then when he takes off the glasses, she transforms into this beautiful girl when she was really beautiful the whole time. <laughs> Real princess diary going yeah. on Yeah, so it kind of implies that if you wear glasses, you're not beautiful. I don't know. But anyway, yeah, kind of a, a flawed uh, – plot there or storyline there uh let's see here let me see this one's a little more recent too i didn't see it on a weekend trip to hawaii a plastic surgeon convinces his loyal assistant to pose as his soon-to-be-divorced wife in order to cover up a careless lie he told to his much younger girlfriend adam sandler movie yes i forgot the title though because it's an adam sandler movie it's called it. Just Go With It. Just Go With It. So he wears a wedding ring uh, and tells – I think he tells people that his wife died or he's getting a divorce or something so that he can – I don't know. He he pretends to be married and so he has to actually be married, pretend to be married when this girl finds out. Hijinks ensue. That's pretty much all you need to know. Yeah. He takes off the ring because he actually likes this girl. I don't know. It's I never saw it. An interesting fact, it's an award-winning film. Wow. Adam Sandler won the Razzie Award for Worst Actor. The Razzies oh. are kind of the, <laughs> the opposite of the Oscars. So <laughs> let's see here. We're kind of running out of time here. So let me come up. Ooh. This is a good one from the 80s. A nerdy outcast secretly pays the most popular girl in school $1,000 to pretend to be his girlfriend. The I name of the film. I started thinking of Lucas for some reason, but that's not a romantic That's a good comedy. one, too. <laughs> the name of the film actually comes from a Beatles song. Hey, Jude. I, I can't know. buy too much for money. Or Money can't like, buy me love. Can't buy me love. Can't buy me love. Mm. Yeah. It's an interesting one because, uh, you know, it's the typical 80s movie. But there's a scene and this guy's a total nerd. He watches something called the African Anteater Ritual Dancing Program or whatever. <laughs> so there's a scene in the movie where he goes to a dance and he's starting to be, you know, uh, seen as cool and hip. So everybody's kind of copying what he does. And he starts doing this really bizarre dance that he saw on this program. And so everybody starts copying him thinking that he's cool and it's the new cool thing. Mm. And Paula Abdul actually came in to choreograph this dance and made a cameo in the film. So uh, just in closing here, let's – I'm going to give you two. These are, ones are a little older. And the the unique thing about these is the director of these two films was nominated for an Academy Award for each of these. So uh, this one's not a romantic comedy. Kind of is in a way, I guess. An insurance salesman discovers his entire life is actually a television show. The Truman Show. The Truman show. Yes. Yeah. So that was directed by Peter Weir. Uh, and this this next one was also directed by Peter Weir. And we'll end with this one. An American woman enters into a marriage of convenience with a Frenchman so he can obtain a green card and remain in the United States. Sounds way too much like that Sandra Bullock is it one. Green card? It is green card okay. oh, with wow. uh, with uh, Andy McDowell and Gerard Depardieu. Should have known it. 
So, again, man, you did really well, Tammy. Well, good. I'm glad. <laughs> and Alex, <laughs> you, were, you weren't far behind, Alex. I got we, one of them. We can tease him a little bit. <laughs> uh, Tammy, I want to thank you again for, for coming on to the show. We had a great time with you here on Screen Cleaning. Keep up the great work and keep uh, getting people married. It sounds like you're doing a great job of that. <laughs> yeah. And thanks again for the advice for, for people who are – you know, maybe don't want to commit to a full relationship or who are thinking of entering into a fake relationship even to just to, you know, not be physical unless there's something, you know, some actual real feelings involved there. Very good words of caution. When we come back, we're going to be speaking with our good friends at BYU Sports Nation here on Screen Cleaning on The Matt Townsend Show. BYU Radio. Talk about good. Well, if you hear that song, then you know what that means. We're going to be speaking with Spencer and Jerem of BYU Sports Nation fame, finding out what's coming up on their program. Spencer and Jerem, how are you? Oh, you know. My name is Jeff. It's Friday. (laughs) We're ready to go. You're ready to go. And we discovered yesterday that Spencer and I are going to be playing our championship softball game against Jerem's team. I thought we both lost, so it's not for a championship. Well, really, though, it is for it's the BYU Broadcasting Championship. So, Spencer, I want to clue you in on something. If we beat Jerem's team, mm-hmm. we, get to, we get a rematch against the team that we lost against on Wednesday night. Okay. And let me let me tell you this. We can beat them. We were ahead for most of the game. We just had a really couple of lousy innings at the end. At the end, so we can do this. Oh, I believe Jeff. Now, if only we can beat Jerem's team. They took down the big dog. Overall number one. I didn't play Wednesday. Um, that has nothing to do whether we would win or lose. <laughs> but we lost by one run Oof. in a great game. I was told um, Wednesday night. So. Yeah, back at it, what, 8.15, bright and early? That's not better. Yeah. Bright and early. And then the winner. Normal. The winner gets to stay a little longer and play another game. That's right, right after. The winner gets less time to work on their lawn. Oh, how did you hear about that? Hmm? Huh? What? What? were Were you describing my situation? What? Oh, wow, Jeff, you need to work on your lawn? Yes. Oh you my got goodness. Them weeds in there. Whoa. Yeah, this is this is actually kind of a sensitive subject with my wife and in-laws who will Uh-oh. be working on the lawn. So, <laughs> hopefully I can make it to the game. Um, mm. you know, we just finished speaking with a BYU professor who as part of her marriage prep course gives the assignments it's an optional optional assignment to uh participate in a fake relationship with a friend. How does that sound to you? Does that sound like it could be a disaster? Does it sound like it could be good? A fake relationship with a friend? Yes. No, I'm uncomfortable. I'm worried about everyone that does that. Would it surprise you to know that four couples have gotten married as a result of this little experiment? How many of them got divorced Because you're doing things that, like... (laughs) You would do if you date and are close and then, like, you discover things about each other like that. That doesn't surprise me. The only thing that I like that's fake is my food. 
fake fake like Mexican yeah, food like the or process, yeah the processed stuff That's fake funny. fake nacho cheese like yeah yeah it's not like real cheese so uh, I wanted to give you guys a little quiz because yeah. we had, we had another segment with her after I interviewed her about movies about fake relationships because pretty much every romantic comedy involves somebody pretending to be boyfriend and girlfriend yeah. to either please the parents or to get a green card you know it's it's pretty much in every romantic comedy there's one we didn't get to and i want to see if you can guess what it is a pretty popular teenager can't go out on a date until her ill-tempered older sister does ah 10 things i hate about you that is correct. Very good. Ding, ding, ding. Now, here's something I didn't know as I was getting, putting all this together. Uh, there was actually a 10 Things I Hate About You TV series. What? That ran on ABC Family for two years. Of course it was on ABC Family. <laughs> Let's not forget the original, though. The Taming of the Shrew is where it really began, right? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So very good, very good. Um, I know you're not going to be talking about lawns or romantic comedies on on your program for today, but what are you going to be talking about? Well, the coaches, the coaches have voted in their top 25 college football teams. And along those lines, we are asking BYU Sports Nation to rank the Furious Five teams, the five most difficult games we believe BYU will play from easiest to hardest. Mm-hmm. And there are some discrepancies between what the coaches voted in the poll and what Jerem and I think. When you hear coaches, think sports information directors who did it for the coaches. So that's a fun angle to this as well. Plus our interviews with Ula Tolutau, stud freshman running back for Brigham, who is a Wisconsin transfer, and Major League Baseball player Jacob Brugman, former BYU player. He joins us how the first two months in the show have gone for him. Yeah. Well, that's exciting. Yep. There was a dog pile uh, involving Big Mo Longy. Yeah. What the, that's all about. The line jumped him. We'll show you, or you'll listen to us describe it. <laughs> <laughs> and look at it on Twitter. Okay. Anything else we need to uh, be looking for here in about five minutes and ten seconds? More update on Jamal Williams. Plus, the he's, women's he's soccer it. team is in the top 10 in the preseason poll. Season's coming up here in a couple of weeks. Blue and white scrimmage tomorrow. Where do they fit in the top 10? Yeah, yeah. They lost two top 11 picks in professional draft, and they're still ranked in the top 10. Pretty good. Yes, that sounds like an awesome show. So, uh, Jerem, hopefully you'll have enough time to work on your lawn after Spencer and I beat your team. Oh, we're doing you a favor. Yeah, we just want to give you more time. Although the same could probably be said of me. I probably need just as much time as you do. So if we could both lose, that would be great. <laughs> who's, who's your pitcher? Uh, Larry. Oh, it's Larry. Okay, I'm going to charge the mound <laughs> and see, see if they give me a yellow card. Oh. <laughs> yeah, speaking of good No pitching, one I've had enough! And then I just run out there. Pitching does make a difference because in our game on Wednesday – their open, their starting pitcher, I guess I should say, uh, walked the first four batters, and we scored a run immediately. So <laughs> you guys very took all those pitches very quickly. Yeah, very quickly they got rid of him. <laughs> There's no glory in that, but there is, I guess. Hey, in the you got to win. Let's win. Yeah. All right. Survive we'll in s- advance, man. We'll see you tomorrow, Jerem. Bright and early. Yeah, I ain't, I ain't walking. Ooh. Okay. I ain't walking. I'm I'm not sure how I'm to take lo- that, not- but. <laughs> I ain't Hit the ball! We'll tell Larry to throw you super crappy pitches. Yes. I'm going to charge the mound either way. <laughs> All right. Have a good show, you guys. We'll see Thanks, you tomorrow. Jeff.
Well, that'll be kind of fun. Just doing a little friendly trash talk. That's always fun. As we play intramural softball for for the glory of uh, I don't know. It's really fake glory. I don't think there's a prize involved. There's no crying in baseball and there's no glory in softball. So yeah. I think we're good. <laughs> That's good. No crying in baseball, no glory in softball. Really just injuries because I've been limping around. I scraped up the front of my leg. Ooh, it's like been a, a week and a half and it's still not healed. I've heard of people like breaking femurs and stuff, sliding into bags on softball. Don't We've do had that. split lips. We've had bloody noses. We've had two girls almost punch each other over an argument. Uh, my ankle is swollen. All in the all in the game, you know. My pride was a little bruised itself. Yeah, it was a little bruised too. That's what mm. hurts the most, I think. So, really, it does. Well, as you know, we like to end each show with uh, our panning for good segment. So we will do that now. There's good in them dire hills. <laughs> As you know, our our mission here on Screen Cleaning is to help you find the best entertainment around. And one way in which we do that is by shining a big old spotlight on a particular movie, an actor, a performer, a story in this segment that we call Panning for Good. And we spoke earlier about Stephen King novels and adaptations and how we couldn't really in good conscience uh, recommend any of them because that's not what screen cleaning is all about. We did give you some alternatives for films that you could watch on TV that were TV adaptations that might be a little safer if you simply must watch Stephen King. Or, uh, But, yeah, the, the books are – it's hard to edit those out because they're, you know, I think the literary world would be up in arms if you tried to edit something. And speaking of the literary world, I want to recommend another author and – Believe it or not, Stephen King said this about this author. Richard Matheson is the author who influenced me most as a writer. Whoa. So you have Stephen King, this this very popular author whose movie whose books and short stories have been made into so many films and TV shows is saying this about Richard Matheson that he's he's his biggest influence. So if you're not familiar with Richard Matheson, you are most certainly familiar with some of uh, his works that have been made into TV shows and movies. If you were a fan of the original Twilight Zone series, oh yeah, he wrote several of those episodes, including one of the most famous ones that was included in the Twilight Zone movie as well, Nightmare at 20,000 Feet. Is that the one with uh, William Shatner? There's yeah. something on the wing. That's something. a good one. <laughs> yeah. That's uh, that's his story, Nightmare at 20,000 Feet, and then it was remade in, in, as part of the Twilight Zone movie with John Lithgow in the role, just as good. Oh, that was, that was the best part of the movie, I thought. He also did a story called Prey, which was part of the film Trilogy of Terror, a TV movie. If you don't know anything about this, you really ought to go see it. It's about this little African doll that attacks this woman, and it is creepy, even for 70s standards. Uh, I Am Legend. He wrote I Am Legend, which they've made several different film versions of that. Duel, which uh, Steven Spielberg made into his first full-length Film. It's a truck driver run, right? If yes, I'm not mistaken. Yeah. where he's chasing a salesman on the road. Really intense. And then there's the lighter fare, Bid Time Return, which was made into the film Somewhere in Time, 
which has one of the greatest soundtracks ever, and What Dreams May Come with Robin Williams and Cuba Gooding Jr., a film I actually uh, I fell asleep watching it. I haven't seen it, so, so if I need a nap. Just some options. As we like to do, we like to save your Fridays and Saturday nights, give you some options of entertainment that you can enjoy together as a family. We do that every week, and we'll be back next week to give you more options here on Screen Cleaning on The Matt Townsend Show. 